My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah, so who are we talking about today, Matt? Cannabis is more than a drug or a plant. It's more than a smoke or a high. For me, cannabis is a way, a Tao, an eternal sublime truth. It's something that I have an incredibly strong attachment to, and maybe to a fault. My use of cannabis is and was a big reason why my family thinks I'm crazy. That has waned since legalization in my state, But with that, freedom comes responsibility and tremendous power. Here on the show today is someone who knows that all too well, having parallel experiences to mine, eventually becoming someone who helps other people understand their relationship with cannabis better. Our guest, Ryan Sprague, here with me, Mystic Mark, on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with Ryan Sprague. I really think that this is one of the things that cannabis is here to reteach us is to embody feminine energy. And even as a man, right, we have feminine energy. It's what makes us creative. So it makes us, you know, connect with other people. And so if we're able to, you know, you know, get the message as Terrence McKenna says, then we're more able to not only hang up the phone when we don't need that message, but we're also able to learn from our experiences. And I think this is where a lot of people go wrong with plant medicines is that they're looking at them as if they are the moon or sun. When in reality, like I said before, they're just the finger that's meant to point us back when we get disoriented. And that doesn't mean that we can't interact with it daily or any of these things. I'm not here to tell people what's right and wrong because that would be going against sovereignness, right? And, And sovereignty. But at the same time, what I've realized in my experience is that I enjoy interacting with cannabis maximum twice per week because, and this is actually the way that shamans uh, do it as well, is they they interact with it normally on weekends. So, you know, my journey really started, God, it really started in high school, talking about high school, where I got diagnosed with anxiety at an early age. 
and tried every pharmaceutical under the sun. And at the last, as a last dish effort of the recommendation of a friend, I tried cannabis and it actually helped a lot. And so through the next couple of years, I started experimenting with cannabis and started questioning everything at the same time, which is why my family thinks I'm crazy. And so as I started to get into that, you know, my father found out I was using cannabis and he wasn't a cannabis user, but he started to support me a lot in my journey. And so long story short, we ended up going to a cannabis college together at the same time that I was in school for psychology. And we grew a lot closer from the plant. And, you know, this really speaks to how I got into doing cannabis coaching and running a whole cannabis program now and the podcast I do too, coming from the cannabis industry. But, you know, through that journey in 2014, I came back from a music festival and my father got diagnosed with terminal cancer. And so through that time, I was able to start giving him RSO and it didn't end up saving his life because he continued to want to smoke cigarettes and do all the things that he was doing, which was fine. And that was a big uh, experiment in me learning to love people for where they're, where they're at and love them for who they are. And through that journey, I got to watch him as he was interacting with cannabis, which was the first time he had actually connected with the plant in years. I mean, since the seventies, probably. And, uh, you know, I got to watch him have closure on his life. I got to watch him connect deeper to his grandchildren. I got to watch him connect deeper with me. We got to laugh together. He got to get a better relationship with his mortality. And so after he passed, you know, I realized that I had this deep bond with the cannabis plant, you know, from cultivating it and do everything like that. And so I ended up getting into the industry and thought I was going to work the rest of my life in the industry. And then what happened was I had a dark night of the soul where I started realizing I was getting into coaching and wanting to get into podcasting and all these things. And to give the individual care that I wanted to give the patients coming in, I realized I can't do it at this dispensary. And so I was there working in patient care advocacy and in cultivation. And I ended up leaving uh, the industry I thought I was going to be in forever and began Highly Optimized. And that's where the first podcast started, which was the Highly Optimized podcast. And, you know, I did so, you know, it was it was a moment in my life where, you know, I had been getting told by everyone, you should have a podcast, you should do this. And I was like, no, everyone's doing it. But something deep down was telling me you should do this. And so it was actually right at the end of 2019 when I met a friend at a local event I was hosting that. I ended up talking with him and he was a podcast producer and he's like, man, you should totally have a podcast. And so at this point, I'm like, okay, universe, I get the sign you're trying to send me here. And so I, I put it on the back burner. And then once I left that job and went through my little spiritual awakening or the next level of it anyway, I ended up stopping using or discontinuing using cannabis for three months because I realized that I was using a lot of it unconsciously throughout the industry. It's kind of rampant. And so in that journey, I found what I really loved about that plant. I, you know, and they say separation makes the heart grow fonder. And that's exactly what happened to me. And so during that time, I was still communicating with the plant and the plant was telling me like, Hey, you know, like you've been using me to numb out a little bit. What if you, instead of doing that, felt the feelings that were underneath and actually used them to, to fuel your passions and your purpose. And so I ended up starting the podcast, didn't know what the hell I was going to do. Just knew I was going to do something about being highly optimized and, uh, you know, failed forward, took messy action got into coaching from my buddy, Mark England, who I believe Andre, I introduced him to. And, uh, you know, it was really funny because he asked me on our intro call, he was like, you ever thought about being a coach? And of course I had a psychology background, but I, you know, I had really never thought about it, but of course I'm talking to this guy who I'd heard on podcasts. I'm like, yeah, totally. He's like, Hey man, you should check out my program. So I ended up checking out his program and I love it. I sign up with the last money I had, and this is right before the pandemic. So I didn't know this was going to happen. So I signed up with the last money I had. And uh, then the pandemic happens. And luckily, 
I was able to have so much time to focus on this. And so I started coaching and doing all of these things. And in that time, I started saying yes to everything my heart was telling me to do. And so I started going on a lot of adventures. And one of the first adventures I went to was this men's retreat in Colorado. And I remember driving up to this mountain house, you know, through the windy roads of Boulder and everything. And I was talking in the back of the, it was like literally this big van, like a 16 person van. And I'm talking in the back with all these people that some of them I had met like a week prior for the first time at Mark's Lake House. And some of them I never met, but I'm sharing and talking and telling them about, you know, a psychedelic journeys I've gone on. And one of the guys goes, man, you know, you should make a podcast and call it this one time on psychedelics. And immediately I knew I'm like, I'm going to have a second podcast. And so it took another year after that for me to actually start it. But I started it on bicycle day of 2021 and it was so much fun. It's been so much fun starting the podcast. And now right around the same time, I realized, oh, I'm going to do cannabis and coaching and put them together. And so what I've been helping people do now with the Connect with Cannabis program is connect deeper to their lives through reimagining cannabis as a powerful tool for self-development and self-awareness, because we know that this plant is incredible, right? Like anyone who interacts with it knows the power of it, but also we've been programmed and conditioned to believe that it's a dirty plant. You know, it doesn't really have any use. And even in the plant medicine community, it's kind of looked at like, oh, cannabis, like when are you doing mushrooms next? When are you doing ayahuasca? And it, no diss on those medicines, they're incredible. But cannabis is everywhere, right? It's the least stigmatized, even though it is still very stigmatized. It's available to do in your living room. You don't have to go to a jungle to do it. Every different type of archetype of individual uses it from policemen to librarians, to elderly people, to young people, to you know martial artists, to performance athletes. Everyone is around cannabis. And so my mission with that program is to allow people to reimagine it as this tool for self-development and self-awareness so they can gain connection in their lives. Because I truly feel that the main challenge we're going through in society right now is not an epidemic of loneliness. It's an epidemic of the inability for most people to connect to their lives. And so through the podcasts, through the program and through my one-on-one practice, that's what I'm really passionate about doing, man. And it's so much fun. Wow. Yeah, brother, you are in the right <laughs> place. And I feel right at home having you here because I agree with you 100%. I think purposelessness is maybe another way to describe that because our society has robbed us of that authentic chance to express yourself you know there are exceptions there's plenty of exceptions but the average person uh, cannot afford to express themselves in a way that really connects with their soul and i think you know to champion cannabis's self-development qualities i mean i'm right there with you i have you know really the show's title comes from the so many things like i said you and i would probably be friends if we went to the same high school because <laughs> i you know and folks please go listen to ascension of the Chessmen. andre mighty he's been here before ryan was on there and i listened to a little more of an extended uh version of what you just told us there and you know i definitely resonate you know because when i was smoking weed in high school my friends they had a whole nother approach and i can see how that's dissipated and their use of cannabis isn't what it was for me and i've always been you know the type of person telling people like no no no, this is a tool you got to use it as a tool you know especially when people would say oh i get paranoid i can't smoke it i would say why do you why do you think you're getting paranoid you know you live yes. in a world where this stuff is illegal like yeah there's there may be a reason for you to be paranoid but then it, 
the inverse of that is be confident, be confident in yourself, you know? Absolutely. So there's so many, there's so many healing qualities of cannabis. And and I definitely want to get into all that with you because I feel like you have intimate knowledge of this. Like you said, you've been communicating with the cannabis and I too have family members with cannabis, uh, or I'm sorry, with cancer, unfortunately <laughs> lacking cannabis. And it's, mm. you know, it's, I'm sorry to hear your father pass, but it, you know, it is very encouraging to hear that he was open to it because, you know, my grandfather, for example, has cancer and he laughs at me when I try to, you know, give him something like this, you know, like I've tried to give him CBD creams and whatnot. And he's like, no, no, I don't want to get high, you know? And it's like, Papa, what are you talking about? Nobody's getting high from CBD cream, you know? (laughs) Yes. So I'm right there with you. But if we could maybe speak to that first, because I think that's something that really people have always suspected, but it doesn't really get mainstream attention. The fact that cannabis can help people heal from cancer. And, you know, we got to be careful the way we phrase that, but I think mm-hmm. you can be a lot bolder than I can because you have the knowledge to back it up. Whereas me, I'm sort of an armchair expert. <laughs> well, man, you know, you brought up so many amazing things and I too believe we would have been besties in high school. So it's amazing to meet a bestie in this time and age where, you know, we can connect on so many amazing things. And, you know, for people that are listening that might not be aware of this, There are scientific studies that you can look up where they have shown in a controlled setting that THC kills cancer cells, that CBD inhibits cancer growth. And the funny thing is that when when you look these things up, you're going to find one or two studies with THC from quite a long time ago, and then you're going to find a lot about CBD. And so what you're realizing is that THC, like Delta 9 THC, is still like the redheaded stepchild of cannabis, right? Because people are like, oh my God, that's the thing that gets you high and all these things. And so most of the research coming out is based on CBD and other cannabinoids and terpenes because hemp is now federally legal. But, you know, even though that's happening, there are studies out there with THC being shown to kill cancer cells. Now that's two individual cannabinoids out of the entire full spectrum of that plant. So they're testing isolates, right? Which we know through the entourage effect, things are more powerful when synergized together with cannabis, AKA another way to say that is that mother nature made the plant perfect and humans, we'd like to break things down into their individual components, which isn't inherently bad, but we have to realize that, you know, Cannabis, when it's used in a full spectrum way, is going to have a lot of other secondary effects and that entourage effect is really going to be able to come through. And so unfortunately, further research is needed to be able to like really see how much cannabis does have an interplay in this. But I can tell you from personal experience that when I was going to that cannabis college, a lot of the people that were coming there that were older were coming there because they had cancer and they had heard about this through this gentleman, Rick Simpson. And so if anyone is curious about this, Look up a gentleman named Rick Simpson. He's the one that made this pretty mainstream. But I was meeting people, seeing their scans, right? And these people, like, I won't lie and say cannabis is a cure-all, right? It's not going to fix an unhealthy lifestyle. And that's where my father came in. He was like, hey, I'm kind of checked out. I'm not going to stop living the way I live. But I would like some pain relief and like to keep my hair and everything like that because he had a nice head of hair. And so he was able to, you know, gain closure and be able to uh, have pain relief through the end of his life. And so that was beautiful on its own, but I've seen and met people in the flesh that have showed me their scans, gotten their health under control with healthy eating, drinking clean water, being more mindful and using RSO and coming back in 
a series of three to six months later after consuming roughly 60 grams of this oil with no cancer in their body anymore. And so for anyone who's like, I don't know, like, trust me, I would have thought the same thing until I saw it with my own eyes. And it's very interesting because, you know, I have a gentleman who just joined Connect with Cannabis who cured his stage three testicular cancer with RSO. And he's about 32. So this is a younger guy. And it's fascinating what this does, because if you think about it, and I, this is the first time I've actually talked about it this way, but you know, when you think about it, what is it really doing? Like, is it actually the scientific aspect of it, you know, killing cancer cells? Yes, absolutely. Right. But what's the other component, right? You're getting still, you're getting more present. You're, you're entering a love state more, right? All of these things we know through Joe Dispenza can do the same thing, right? So I think it works synergistically with that healthy feeling in your body of being able to tune into the possibility through imagination that you can be healthy because I think of cannabis as three ways, like three ways that I use to understand cannabis and teach it is that first it's feminine. So it's a feminine medicine. So that's why if you don't give it an intention, don't expect to get much done, right? Cause it's contentment, right? And that's okay. It's not that doing it one way or the other way is right or wrong. That's just silly duality made in the mind. But if someone's looking to use it for a tool for self-development and self-awareness and really unlock the true power that it has within it, you know, understanding it's feminine can give you the ability to realize why you need intention, right? Because you need a direction to give that, that masculine direction to give that feminine medicine. The second thing is that it's a mirror. So like your buddy was saying when he was paranoid, I hear this all the time. Oh, I can't smoke cannabis because it makes me paranoid. It makes me this, it makes me that. Well, how, like when you think about language and how words construct our reality, then when you're saying something makes me this, you are externalizing your power onto that and not taking any ownership over your own internal state. And so when you understand it's a mirror, you understand that once you make an intention, say if your intention is to feel happy and then you have a challenging experience, you might be able to anchor into that intention to go, this must be what's standing in the way of me being happy. So it's mirroring back your internal state without all your protection mechanisms and your ego and all your programs and patterns that are not only protecting you, quote unquote, standing in the way. And the third thing, is that it's imagination medicine. So in order to heal from cancer, in order to start a new job, in order to leave a relationship that's not good for you, right? You first need to imagine you being able to do it. And this is where a lot of people in our left brain society are really challenged. And I'm not saying the left brain's a bad thing. It's just a situation, right? And nothing is inherently bad or good. But when we notice that like a lot of us have lost the ability to imagine, then when we interact with cannabis, we can start diving into that more. And the idea is that we don't need cannabis to do these things, but it can act as the finger that points us back to the sun or the moon, which is our innate intuition, our clear senses, our ability to get into these states on our own. And so, you know, how I work with this plant is, you know, I'm a longtime cannabis lover, cultivator, and, you know, I, I use organic methods and biogeometry and a lot of fun stuff in my grow. And, you know, how I like to work with this plant is like any other relationship. It's a two-way communication. You know, I only expect to get out of the plant what I give it and vice versa. And so it's beautiful when we start thinking about this man, because this plant has done so much for me and it's allowed me to see so much in my life. And I'm the first to say it's not for everyone, right? You don't need cannabis to access any of this, but for certain people like me and you, it seems right. Like we're called to this, right? It seems natural for us. We enjoy the effects. That's a good sign that there's something there for you, for you to learn, but not everyone is going to, nothing is for everyone. Right. And so I'm always uh, a fan of saying that because, you know, I know that 
some people might hear it and go, wow, that sounds amazing, but I don't know if I'm ever interested in doing that. It's like, oh, hey, there's many different streams that lead to the same sea. It could be breathwork for you, it could be meditating, it could be a million things, right? But for people that plant medicines like cannabis work with, you know, those are the people that can start reimagining this and getting some interesting results from it if you choose to go down that road. Yeah, man. And I'm glad that there's finally, you know, sources to back this up and it seems more overwhelming. You know, it's I'm lucky to be in a state where cannabis is now pretty much legal, you know, Connecticut, but unfortunately DUI, they still consider uh, being high while you're driving a DUI. That's something that I've always been very uh, against. I'm like, I smoke weed and drive and I'm a better driver, you know, and I know this might be a (laughs) risky, you know, sort of thing (laughs) to tell people because it's not for everybody. It really isn't for everybody. Keep in mind, you're talking to somebody who smoked weed before I learned how to drive. So Mm -hmm. I think that might be a difference. Like I was high when I was learning how to drive. So, (laughs) so, you know, you You know, programmed in there. Depends on how young you start, but I think, you know, there is a case to be made where, you know, knock on wood here. I haven't been in any accidents in a vehicle I've ever owned. I've been in a few accidents with a bakery van, but that's off the record. We're not going to talk about that. It wasn't my van and I wasn't high on the job. So hmm, maybe there was a reason for that. But anyways, (laughs) I think there's a lot of stigmas, unfortunately, still attached. You know, they've lightened up in places like where I live now that it's legal, but it's still something that, you know, people have not really warmed up to. And although it may, might not be for everybody, I think it's important for the conversation to bring up the endocannabinoid system within our body. This is, you know, an ancient part of us. You know, we've had this relationship with this plant for thousands and thousands of years. And we've had a, a guy on the show, Chris Bennett. He's a scholar and and talks a lot about this stuff on several podcasts. He's written a whole book on the history of cannabis and i mean it's deep man and i think if people realize that they wouldn't think you know with so much doubt or suspicion they wouldn't think it's just some street drug you know this is something that we wouldn't be able to have even sailed across the oceans to come to america if we didn't have i mean that's why it grows everywhere because sailors inherently needed the the hemp rope to get around Absolutely. And you know, one of the funny things here too, is that most people that have a gripe against cannabis, they're not actually coming from a place of having done research themselves and come to that conclusion consciously. They've just been told that. And so they're really not even living their own experience of life. They're living what someone else told them about life. And this opens up a rabbit hole because I think this is one of the biggest challenges we see in society right now is that so many people are saying, oh, I follow the science. Well, do you actually understand what science is? Science is a process of questioning everything and coming to your own conclusion. And most people are hearing what people are calling quote unquote science, and they're just reverberating it, right? As if it's truth, when in reality, most science is bought and paid for these days. You really have to look for true science. And when you start looking into quantum physics, and then you start actually looking at what the science coming out is, it's all based on Newtonian physics, which is already completely outdated and shown to be false. And so it's very interesting because You know, when people realize that cannabis was only bastardized in the 1930s and when they realize what their belief system of cannabis being a dirty drug or anything is based on, which is this reefer madness shit put out there by Harry Anslinger and Andrew Mellon and these horrible individuals that were basically literally stating 
that marijuana, right, which is a term they invented basically overnight, was something that Mexicans were coming over the border and raping white women with. I mean, like, do you want to rest your belief system on a story that's based on that, right? <laughs> so what I tell everyone is you don't have to interact with it, right? But respect it because you like respect it because of its medical value and also because of how much we have been co-evolving with this plant throughout society. You know, Chris Bennett's a great guy, how his book, uh, Liver 420, and it's unbelievable. And, you know, I've looked into many different books where they talk about, you know, the Scythians and the Silk Road and how this plant has been used in unison with human beings since the dawn of time. And it's very fascinating because last I checked, we don't have an alcohol system in our body, right? But yet alcohol is all of a sudden okay, right? And it's, it's, you know, it's not necessarily, I mean, there is obviously science that's showing what it's doing, but it's, it's normalized. Right. And, and so what I always tell everyone is, Hey, you don't have to interact with this plant, but please do your own research and come. If you choose not to like it for some reason, do your own research and come to that. Don't just take someone else's word for it because they're probably taking it from someone else's word and someone else's word that goes back to the 1930s. And you do not want your belief system resting on that theory. <laughs> right. Right. And you know, what's unfortunate that people might not realize is all of these stigmas that are easily, you know, burnt away when we have sort of the light of day on them and the clear common sense that you just demonstrated. Unfortunately, that casts a light on some of the more tangible things that could be improved about cannabis, which is like uh -huh. your relationship with it as an individual, because when it gets stigmatized to this degree, the average user has no education on what its true worth is they're just taught you know oh well this is going to you know benefit me because my life sucks and when i smoke i feel better you know and that's yeah. it you know like they have a yes. very simple understanding of it and that's unfortunate because you know it sounds to me like you've sort of developed some coaching methods to help people understand how they can be interacting with the plant and I might need that myself, you know, because I, I smoke every day. I smoke blunts, which, you know, considering what you said about the feminine qualities of uh, cannabis, I don't know whether or not you're going to agree with this. That's fine. I don't mind if you disagree with me on my show. We're not here to, to have an echo chamber. But the way I was taught, tobacco is sort of a masculine energy. And, and yes, for whatever reason, you know, I think smoking the way I smoke, just blunts, and I'm not recommending this for the audience listening, unless you are inclined within your own, you know, life to do so. Don't take my word for it. But it's it's helped me, you know, and I don't find that I have the same problems that maybe people who smoke with a bong or, or otherwise have. You know, I, I'm always very productive when I smoke. Sometimes it depends on the weed itself too, a lot of times, you know, strain. I mean, I don't have a dispensary that I buy from, so it's not uh -huh. easy to, to be selective like that. But when it comes to the feminine aspects of cannabis, what would you say about, you know, the blend between that and tobacco? Do you have anything to, to add to that? Absolutely. And I totally agree with you, Matt. Tobacco is much more of a masculine plant. Cannabis is much more feminine. And what I always say is that there's a reason that these two have been combined since once again, like the dawn of time, right? Like not always, but there's a reason why you hear this idea of spliffs, right? If they didn't work for something, they wouldn't be used because people wouldn't find an effect they like. And so we have to break down what's going on there. 
And so when we look into shamanistic practices with cannabis, they speak about the spliff, right? And what it's actually doing. And so tobacco is a really good masculine grounder. It will ground you into the present moment while cannabis will elevate your consciousness, alkalize your body, bring your pH up and allow you to get into the upper chakras. And so what I always say is that when I'm using spliffs, it's almost like I have one foot on the ground and one hand in the sky, right? And so if I'm in a social situation where I'm at a workshop or I'm, you know, conversing with friends at a get together or something, I'm going to do a spliff because I want that elevating consciousness to be able to connect me deeper to people and read between the lines of what they're saying and be able to tune into my own subtle energy. Yet at the same time, I want to be able to continue to make conversation. And so that tobacco really balances it out. And I think that one of the other biggest challenges is that many people believe, and this is going to be, you know, potentially controversial, but many people believe that tobacco causes cancer when in reality, if you look at all the indigenous cultures that use tobacco, they weren't interacting with cancer. So what's what's causing it? Well, it's all the other chemicals. I mean, in a cigarette, a normal cigarette, there is an insane amount of sugar content in there. And we know that sugar is an uh, inflammatory, right? And so again, correlation doesn't necessarily equal causation, but what most people know to be tobacco is actually not tobacco whatsoever. There might be tobacco juice in there. It might look like tobacco. There might actually be some tobacco in there, but it's genetically modified. It's grown with pesticides, herbicides, rodenticides, fungicides. And the scary thing is that that is exactly what is happening to cannabis right now. The same thing is happening. And so I keep waiting for the day. I'm not trying to manifest this, but at the same time, I keep waiting for the day that someone's like, oh, yep, cannabis is now causing cancer. It's not the cannabis. It's the other things that human beings keep trying to put in there because unconsciously they believe that they are smarter than nature. And this is one of the things that, you know, you touched on where, you know, I look at this, right. And of course I worked in the industry. I worked with over 5,000 patients on this. And what I was realizing is that there is no guidance for cannabis for being the most popular yet misunderstood plant medicine. There is no guidance out there. You can find shamans that will work with you with ayahuasca, psilocybin, but where is all the guidance for the people psychedelic? What the one that is available, like I said, everywhere these days, it's, you know, legal in many States, you know, where's the guidance and there's none. And so what ends up happening is that most people end up numbing out with it. They're like, my day sucked, but luckily I have cannabis. So what's the difference between that and alcohol, tobacco, anything else that could be used as an addictive substance? And so here's the thing, right? So people often say, oh, well, you know, cannabis is habit forming. Cannabis can ca cause dependency. Cannabis can be addictive. And I'm like, guys, you keep externalizing your power. It's not that cannabis is addictive because if so, every person that ever smoked it would be addicted to it. So it's not objective. So what's going on subjectively that's making it show up as dependency sometimes? Well, when you really break it down, it's the same thing as them saying, oh, we have an epidemic of loneliness. No, that's the result. What's the real problem? Inability to connect. So with cannabis, it's not that cannabis is addictive. It's that cannabis being a feminine medicine provides feelings of comfort, which are extremely addictive to people living in discomfort. And so when we start to look at that, it's not that cannabis is the bad thing. It's that, hey, what are the feelings of discomfort that you're living in? Are you working a terrible job that you don't like? Are you stressed out about your spouse? Are you, you know, trying to pay your bills and you barely can make ends meet, right? Like those are the reasons that someone decides to numb out with cannabis. And they don't consciously choose that. I'm like, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to numb out with cannabis. But because, you know, the guidance and a lot of the stoner science out there says, oh, you can smoke it all day, every day, and it's no big deal. And you don't have to do any inner work or anything. That's why a lot of people I feel fall into hot water with it because they're getting their research, which isn't based in any type of science from hearsay. 
And so what I, you know, aim to do is fill in that gap where I tell people like, Hey, there's no right or wrong way to use this medicine, right? I'm not here to tell you what the right way is or, you know, that you should do it my way, but I'm here to give awareness to like, have you thought about these things before? Have you thought about stating intention? Have you thought about how often you use it? Have you thought about why you might be using it and the times in which you use it and what that correlation is? And so my thing is to bring awareness because I've met people that smoke every day and they're perfectly normal, right? Like they, that works for them. They have a healthy relationship as I see it. Now for me, I was unconsciously using it. Now, what that looked like for me was I was covering all the bases. I'm super into health and fitness and everything. And so I was interacting with one bowl per night, but for like 10 years, right? And so, and I would smoke on weekends and stuff and go to brunch and things like that. But often I was smoking once per night and I thought that's perfectly functional, right? Because I was watching people smoke all day with some challenging side effects. But what I realized was I was working at a job I didn't like. I was coming home and the reason I was unconsciously using cannabis, like just packing a bowl because it was what I did every night was because I was looking to leave the feelings of discomfort behind. But it was actually in those three months where I took that break that I faced those feelings of discomfort and they fueled me to leave my job, start my own business and start doing my, my work in the world. And that's when I became a power couple with cannabis. And that's what I help people do is whatever that looks like for you. I want you to go from potentially codependency or just a curiosity to gain a deeper insight with cannabis into a power couple dynamic where you're able to establish this two-way communication and you're able to understand and know thyself more because I really feel that's what psychedelics are here to do. They're here to open up to us what is already possible yet is being blocked by limiting beliefs, programs, patterns, etc. And if we're able to get outside of that matrix and look at it, and be separate from it and go, ah, I'm having this limiting belief. I wonder what's going on there. Then we interact with cannabis and we're able to dive in there and feel the feelings underneath it. And then we can learn how to do that in a sober state of reality. And so the idea is not to become dependent and think you need this plant to access these things. But for most of us, we were never taught about spirituality. We were never taught about a lot of these things. We were never taught about emotional awareness, breath work, anything like that. And so my thing is that because cannabis can tune us into subtle energy, it can give us the, the, the notion of what we're looking to experience with breath work, with meditating, like, oh, we get it now. Okay, cool. Now you know what you're looking for. Now try it in the sober state and you can integrate it into your life. And then life becomes a psychedelic experience where the magic that you feel with cannabis or other plant medicines, you can start feeling in your daily life. And the way I separate this is the difference between a PEAK peak experience where you're like on the medicine, you're having these downloads and that's amazing. But if you don't integrate the what that plant medicine showed you into figuring out the how of how to get that to happen in daily life, then you're not able to have the best experiences, which in my mind, in my experience, in my opinion, are the PEEK peak experiences where then you start finding synchronicities, serendipities, right? And these things in your daily life where you start to feel the magic that these medicine that you feel while on these medicines while you're completely sober. I mean, it's so fucking cool. <laughs> wow. Like a peek into another reality. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Wow. And I wonder, you know, with that in mind, and especially considering what she said about tobacco and cannabis, and then, you know, the sort of over guidance we hear about ayahuasca mushrooms and then that inverse quality with cannabis where you could look up different strains all day and they'll tell you what they do and all this stuff but 
what does that mean for me as an individual? Okay, I smoke Girl Scout cookies and all of a sudden I'm creative. But what if I don't have any art tools? <laughs> what, yeah. am I, you know, what am I going to create? So, yeah, it definitely feels like there's sort of an open playing field when it comes to these things sometimes. But can you speak to maybe the relationship between cannabis and mushrooms? Because, you know, I've experienced several different mushroom experiences and they've sort of given me more of a sort of <laughs> confidence in cannabis because of how unpredictable those have been and I've tried micro dosing and using smaller doses and I think that's sort of my what I'm more comfortable with as opposed to like the hero thing that you know, people try and, you know, everybody has their own experience, but what's the relationship between psychedelics like mushrooms and cannabis, if any? Yeah. I, you know, I'll speak to my personal experience. And the first thing I want to say is that it's super weird to me that anyone would refer to any dose as the hero's dose, right? Like that to me has always kind of seemed like weird because to me, like there's nothing necessarily heroic about doing a large dose of mushrooms because at the end of the day, these substances and medicines can do so much good, but they can also do a lot of harm if you're not in the right set and setting and you don't know what you're messing with. Because when you're opening yourself up, you know, not only if you're in the wrong environment, can you pick up negative entities and some things that can really fuck you up. But at the same time, when you're interacting with these medicines, you're disintegrating from reality, right? So you're going elsewhere and you're opening yourself up to, you know, parts of life that are not normally visible through our sober state of reality. And so if you're someone who's doing a large dose of mushrooms and you're not exactly sure what is the potential of that, then what can happen is you cannot fully reintegrate. And many people think integration is an optional thing within psychedelic space. And that's, I think, one of the biggest thirst traps that goes on with the psychedelic space is that people keep going from PEAK experience to PEAK experience because they're having these amazing experiences, then going back to their daily life and not integrating. And then they think, oh, I need another one of those to feel that feeling again. And so the relationship I've found is that with me, you know, I've gone on, you know, various different mushroom experiences and, and had facilitators, you know, help me out with it. And, you know, for me, mushrooms feels like a deep inner journey, almost taking you on a quest where cannabis almost puts me in an open world map where, you know, I'm able to be there. And yes, I am dancing with a certain spirit with cannabis, but mushrooms feel more like we have something to show you, you're coming with us, right? And so you're kind of strapped in for the ride where cannabis is like, hey, you're here. We got lots of different options. What do you want to go into, right? And that's where the intention can come into play because, you know, what I found, and this is with any plant medicine with intention is that a lot of people get challenged in plant medicines, including cannabis, because they don't surrender and surrender is a trigger term for a lot of people. They're like, I don't like that term. And I really dove into that. I'm like, why do people not like surrender? Why did I not like it for a long time? And so for me, what it really was, what it came down to is that I was surrendering in, into the infinite possibilities of what might happen on a psychedelic experience, including cannabis. And when I realized that if I make an intention, right, to be happy or something, and then I have this challenging experience, I can then at least have an anchor to go, well, maybe this is what's standing in the way of me being happy. And so I have somewhere to place it and integrate it. And so I think that, you know, the biggest difference I found is that mush, they feel like a much deeper inner journey for me. Like I'm going deep within myself and cannabis is almost like it's the only plant medicine I found. And this is why I really enjoy it 
that I can integrate on the go. So I can be in the medicine, find something and like literally go sign up for a class. Like if, say if I decide or realize that, you know, I, I need to paint more. Right. And so I can actually like, that's the what, right? Like you need to paint more. And so in the experience, I can go on my phone, I can look up our classes and sign up for one. Right. So it's like integration on the go. Whereas with mushrooms, you know, it's, it's really challenging to get on a phone and do things. Right. And so you have to integrate fully when you come out, which is fine. But these are like the minute differences I've noticed. And that's why I love cannabis so much because these days, like I get to wake up and live my dream life every day. I get to do podcast. I mean, you know, podcasting is so, so fulfilling and so much fun. I get to coach my program. I get to, you know, travel and do workshops with some of my heroes and all of these amazing people I get to meet people like you and Andre and all these cool people. And so for me, I don't need necessarily many big journeys at this point in my life. Like I just feel pretty full up. I'm good. I'm still integrating from my last big experience from uh, mushrooms about a year ago. And so with cannabis, it's kind of like I have small little things, right? Like maybe I notice that I get agitated when my partner says something, right? And I'm like, what's going on there? So I don't need to blow myself into another realm to figure that out. I just need a couple of tokes where I can go, what's going on? What's just out of my level of consciousness that I'm not recognizing yet? What's, what's my ego looking to quote unquote, protect me from? Cause this is what happens, right? Like, you know, say you have a trauma from getting cheated on when you were like 14. And so in that unconsciously, you learn that I'm always going to expect the worst. So I never get blindsided like that again. And so maybe now you're with a partner who would never cheat on you. Right. But maybe she, you know, puts up a song that's, you know, that has something in it or something, let's just say, right. Where it's like, I don't need no man, blah, 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 whatever. Right. And so in that you get triggered and you're like, whoa, I don't even know what's happening, but that gets me enraged. Right. So with understanding how to use cannabis consciously, one could, and I say could, because this isn't the only way to do it, but one could with intention go into that and ask, why was I triggered there? And then get brought back to the memory of when they were 14 and they got cheated on. And then they can consciously decide and realize that like, Hey, I realize that my ego here is actually trying to protect me, but this is like not the punishment that fits the crime, right? Like there is no crime here. My partner is just expressing herself or himself. And therefore I don't need to react this way. And so then you can consciously choose to leave that program behind and instill a new belief system. And one of the cool things that I find works really well for me. And I'll always say for me, cause I don't expect anyone else to have the same results. But one of the things that, one of the things that works for me is that, you know, I've done a lot of emotional inner healing and different modalities. And of course I coach. So I do this all day, every day. And one of the things I found is that it's really hard in the sober state of reality for me and some of my clients to be able to find the root of something. Because in that scenario that I was just talking about, you know, you might not be able to let go of like, nah, just that it's not okay that she's posting that. Right. And you won't be able to get below that because the protection mechanism is there. The analytical mind is there. You're in a beta brainwave state with cannabis. You're able to go a little bit deeper into the alpha and theta brainwaves where the subconscious lives. And so you're past your analytical mind and you can view things as kind of funny now, right? Like it's not so serious anymore. You're away from the trigger. And so there you can find the root. You might be able to anyway, this is what I do. I'm able to find the root easier and pull it and go, this is what I want to believe about life now. Thank you for that part of me. You got me to this point in my life but I'm good now. I know how to keep myself safe and I can, I can move forward in my life now. Yeah. I think you just identified why my girlfriend gets so mad at me because <laughs> <laughs> <Yes. laughs> sometimes she wants to trigger me maybe. And, and I'm just, I just think it's funny. And then I'm like, mm -hmm. I get to the root of it and then she's like, I'm so mad at you for being right. And I'm like, well, I'm not always right, but when I'm yeah. right, 
But yeah, I, I hear you, man. I think that's that's part of why I was really excited to have you here because I was I had the suspicion that this would happen because it is yeah. very it's a reflective moment for me because as a daily user of maybe a decade now, I tend to think I'm the expert typically when I'm talking to people about this stuff. And it's good to to speak to someone who deals with this on a, a professional level, you know, respectively. Mm -hmm. I think you, you've gone and made a really, really awesome, you know, I don't want to boil it down to a profession, but it's, it's really it seems like it's like a mission that you're on. Mm -hmm. And I respect it 100%. You know, maybe this is a, a weirder question, but... When we were talking about mushrooms, I, I remembered an experience. I I was reading Carlos Castaneda's books and, you know, this idea that each plant had its own consciousness. This is important to me and, and, and realizing that, oh, okay, I'm using, I'm not using these as tools. There's a relationship here and things will, you know, grow if I you know, experience that in the right way. There's a right relationship as opposed to a wrong relationship. But I, one little like weird, fascinating thing that I read was that Don Juan, and he might've been a fictional character, who knows, he was smoking mushrooms. He had like a little pipe and he smoked mushrooms. So I, I was fascinated by that. And I kind of looked around on earwood.com and uh, I found some other people who were trying it and they're all saying, oh, you got to do low temperature. So then I go and I'm, I'm, you know, a little genius over here. I'm like, well, what's the temperature of like a cigar when it's burning, you know? Because I wanted to see, yeah, maybe if I put a little bit at the end of a blunt and I try to like, you know, milk it, who knows? And I'll tell you, you know, I don't, again, don't recommend people do this, but I had a sort of a different experience altogether than what you might have when, when ingesting mushrooms. And what's funny is it only worked once. I tried it other times and it never happened again. And that may be just because it was the perfect environment for whatever reason in that moment, or I I did it just right, you know, luck of the luck of the first draw or something. But there was something weird that happened there. And I felt like I was sort of actually for the first time engaging with cannabis, like as an entity, you mm -hmm. know, and, and each, you know, each plant has its own consciousness it's not just cannabis carrots potatoes you know broccoli mm -hmm. they all have <laughs> yeah. a consciousness and i wonder you know if we treated our vegetables the same way we treat like mushrooms and and cannabis like how healthier could our lives be you know and like how potent these things are now is that natural? I know I'm just throwing a whole bunch of questions at you, mm. but when it comes to the the mushroom part in particular, have you ever ever experienced that or heard about people trying that? You know, I have. I have not experienced it myself, but I have heard those types of results with smoking mushrooms. And, you know, it's funny, that was one of the first books I ever read, like like straight up, I listened to audiobooks, but the purple one. Uh, I forget which one the purple one is, but it's with the crow. And it's when he's talking about the weed and the smoke, right? And for those listening that haven't read it, the weed wasn't cannabis, right? It was some other plant that was grown. Gypsum weed. Was, yeah, gypsum weed. Yeah. And and so he was talking about how, you know, each, you know, of the Aqua Indians, they would have like their blend that worked for them. And I think one of the things that, you know, really struck me in there because I had been cultivating for a few years at this point was that he was saying in that book that 
the only way these medicines truly work for you in the way that they're intended to is if you grow it yourself. And when we speak about carrots and broccoli and everything, you know, this is why I believe women are such good farmers, right? It's not because, you know, you know, they're the only ones that can do it or anything like that, but it's because women have a much more innate connection to love, to joy, to compassion. They have that feminine fuel that is the planet, right? Like feminine energy is thank goodness coming back into the world now because we've seen what's happened as a result of masculine energy running amok and not true masculine energy, like the immature boy masculinity running amok. But now divine masculinity and divine femininity are coming back in and unionizing. And I think it's so beautiful because, you know, one thing I've realized is that, you know, in cultivating cannabis myself, one thing I've realized is that these plants really do respond to the vibrations of love. And they also respond to the vibrations of anger and anxiety and everything. Right. And the same way that if we eat meat that was conventionally farmed and was stressed out and lived a life in a cage, and then we ingest that meat, we are ingesting that stress energy into us. Right. And then that leads to a host of different issues and it leads to a, a disconnection in our body of health, right. Overall. And that leads to cancer and whatever else. And so when I look at, you know, this idea of, you know, cannabis being an entity and all these things, I a hundred percent agree with it. And because it's what I've directly experienced myself. Right. And so for anyone listening, you're not going to be able to go find a scientific article that goes, Oh, that's the entity. We found it. But at the end of the day, you know, I think that science is, like I said in the beginning, kind of weird these days, because if you go to an indigenous culture and you're like, oh, uh, prove to us that cannabis has an entity, they're like, we don't need to. It's our direct experience. You have your own and we have ours and we have our own realities. So why am I going to tell you what your reality should be? If you experience it and you believe that it's going to have an entity, guess what? You might have that show up in your reality. But if you don't, that's your conscious choice and you are the creator of your reality. You're a sovereign being. And so these kind of things only present themselves in my experience when we start getting curious and getting into imagination and going, what if, right? Like, what if I went into this thinking there would be an entity here? What would happen? Right. And in my experience, I can tell you that interacting with the plant in this way has deepened my bond, not only with the plant and what I believe is the spirit and entity of that plant, but also myself, because as within, so without, right. The hermetic principles are how I guide my life. And so, you know, when I look at this, I think that each individual strain of cannabis has its own unique personality as well. And so this is why certain people like strains and don't like others. I mean, there's many different quantifiable things that could, you know, do that. Of course, cannabinoid makeup, terpene makeup, but I think there's also a personality uh, to them as well, because I know on certain strains, I get more like a conversation that's kind of upregulated in a fun way, like almost, almost playing. Right. And then some are almost more like a wise grandmother that are whispering to you. And so you need to get really quiet and still to hear them. And so when we dive into this realm, there's so much that's untapped potential within this realm. But I really think that this is one of the things that cannabis is here to reteach us is to embody feminine energy. And even as a man, right, we have feminine energy. It's what makes us creative. So it makes us, you know, connect with other people. And so if we're able to, you know, you know, get the message, as Terrence McKenna says, then we're more able to not only hang up the phone when we don't need that message, but we're also able to learn from our experiences. And I think this is where a lot of people go wrong with plant medicines is that they're looking at them as if they are the moon or sun. When in reality, like I said before, they're just the finger that's meant to point us back when we get disoriented. And that doesn't mean that we can't interact with it daily or any of these things. I'm not here to tell people what's right or wrong because that would be going against sovereignness, right? And, and sovereignty. But at the same time, 
what I've realized in my experience is that I enjoy interacting with cannabis maximum twice per week because, and this is actually the way that shamans uh, do it as well, is they they interact with it no, normally on weekends. And they do that because it preserves the transcendental and spiritual properties of the plant. Because you know, once you have a high enough tolerance, like you just know the experience. And I always relate it to a lover, right? Like, so say if you're living with your girlfriend or boyfriend forever who's listening and, or husband or wife, and you're living with them for 10 years, right? So you wake up next to them every day, you know, they make your breakfast the same way, or you make, you know, your breakfast together the same way, you know, they kiss you the same way every day when you leave for work. And so you're just used to it. And then they leave for a month, right? They're going on some epic adventure. It's all good, right? But they're gone for a month. And so you wake up the first day, you don't notice much is different. You wake up like the fourth or fifth day and you're like, man, do I miss this morning kiss? Like I never realized how much I loved about this person. Oh, I can't make my eggs the same way they do. They rock at this. And my girlfriend is literally a prime example. She makes sweet potato hash. Like, I don't even know what the hell she does to it. She puts love into it or something. No matter what I do, I cannot make sweet potato hash that good. And so if I'm having that every day with her, right? I forget that like, that's an amazing ability of hers. And so when I'm not with her, I'm like, man, do I crave her sweet potato hash because it's made with her essence, with her love. And so- this is what I tell everyone about cannabis. Rather than looking at it, if you choose to, as like taking a break or I have to do this, look at it as an act of love for how much you love that plan because you're looking to discover what you really love about the plant in its absence. Because like they say, heart makes, I mean, separation makes the heart grow fonder. And so this is like why I choose to do that personally. But I also, like I said, I'm not telling anyone that they should or should not be interacting with cannabis, how they should do it. It's up to everyone's own decision. But these are some of the things that have really helped me in my life have a much healthier relationship with cannabis once I realized it was out of balance. Right on. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've definitely had breaks over the past 10 years for sure, you know, for whatever reason may have come around around and, you know, definitely had this sort of anxiety to smoke, which Mm. is, is something I definitely need to reflect on, you know, now that I'm making more money and there's more of a stability around that. I feel like maybe that's where that anxiety was coming from. Like, oh, I want this to be a part of my life. So I need to be making this much income so that I'm not like spending half my income on something (laughs) or however it was back then, you know, now I'm doing a little better for myself. Thank goodness for, you know, the podcast listeners support me on Patreon, keep this thing going. But when it comes to taking a break, one real motivation to take a break would be having more dreams or at least remembering my dreams. And that's not to say that I don't dream. I mean, apparently if you ask my girlfriend, I'm talking in my sleep every night. So I'm dreaming, (laughs) but I just don't, you know, I don't, I don't remember them. So, you know, what have you learned about that aspect? Cause I I've heard that like it floods your melatonin and, and if you're using all, all your melatonin during the day, then at night you don't have as much or so on and so forth. But mm-hmm. you know, I still have dreams and I've still remembered some of them. So I, I wonder how like finite the science is in that realm. Yeah. And, you know, that's actually a really good point. And this is something I love to talk about because, you know, I did quite a few different scientific experience of my uh, experiments of my own where, you know, there's a couple of different things you mentioned melatonin, and then we'll cover REM sleep after. So with melatonin, the science I've found is accurate to that, that it can, you know, provide more melatonin. And, you know, that's, that's one way to look at it, of course, but at the same time, 
And this is why I love infusing cannabis into breath work, because if you look into Joe Dispenza's work, then, and you look into how DMT is produced in the brain endogenously, it comes as a pre, uh, from a precursor that's melatonin, right? So melatonin gets converted through a couple of different conversions into finally DMT. And so if you have more melatonin in your system from which DMT can be converted into, and then you're doing something like breath work where your cerebral spinal fluid as you're breathing is moving throughout your system, and then you're pushing it through that hold and squeeze you do with breath work, you're pushing it up against your pineal gland, which has these little microcrystals that cause a piezoelectric effect that then produces this external field from which your pineal gland can act as a transducer and bring in you know, those frequencies that, that it transduces into light or not light uh, images, then you can realize that like, oh, you can have some really out of body transcendental experiences by interacting with it that way. Now, at the end of the day, like cannabis can, you know, if you're using it all day, for instance, it can uh, deplete your melatonin a little bit, but uh, the, the, the research that I found that was more like not damning by any means, but just more useful for me for sleep purposes was that cannabis can uh, reduce REM sleep. And I have found this to be true. Like I have an aura ring. And so I've done my own little, you know, science experiment with it. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of people that I know interact with cannabis because they can't sleep. And so what's more damaging, right? Not sleeping at all or having reduced REM sleep. And so a lot of times science frames these things as like, oh, it's got to be all objectively bad because it reduces REM sleep. But at the end of the day, they also don't state like the rest of that statement. It can reduce REM sleep. But there's certain ways I've found through my own scientific studies that you can preserve REM sleep while interacting with cannabis. And so what I tell most people is if REM sleep is very important for you, it's where we're retaining info and like our memories related to our REM sleep. And so if you're looking to retain a lot of info, maybe you're learning something, you know, what I suggest is, you know, discontinuing use of cannabis about two or three hours before you go to bed. So in my studies, when I did that, I tried smoking cannabis right up until like I put my head on the pillow and my REM sleep went down from about two hours to about an hour and 15 minutes. And then when I did the same, when I was discontinuing use about three hours before, it was like a 10 minute difference. Now, again, everyone's is going to be different. I realize this is not exactly the way to establish control and do a scientific study, but this is my own experience with it. And so if anyone has an aura ring or whatever, I suggest like, if you're a cannabis user and you want to test this out, try out your own because everyone's physiology is going to be different, but there are ways to mitigate these things. You know, like for me, it's like, Hey, if you're worried about the melatonin, just don't interact with as much cannabis per day, right? Try that first. And melatonin's a little harder to test than, you know, REM sleep because the aura ring and things like this don't really track melatonin. But, you know, in my experience, like, you know, unless I'm interacting with cannabis all day, I don't notice much of that melatonin. Even when I do, I mean, like when I have in the past, you know, I've always slept amazing. Now my girlfriend has insomnia. And so like, that's what I'm mentioning when I'm saying like, she wouldn't sleep at all if it wasn't for cannabis. And so sleep being more important than diet and exercise combined is, you know, at the end of the day, sleeping at all is better than not sleeping. So if anyone listening is like, oh shit, they're feeling like, oh my God, I need to stop smoking cannabis now because of the melatonin, but it's the only thing that helps me sleep. Don't rush it, right? Like at the end of the day, we are a process, not an outcome. And so just allow this to give you awareness, right? Awareness is the key in life. It's not about getting it right or getting it wrong. It's just about simply gaining awareness. And so 
if you're a cannabis user and you have been noticing like this type of melatonin decrease or anything like this, just get curious and go, what would happen if I, you know, didn't smoke the last time I usually smoke per night? Try that out. Right. And just start figuring it out for yourself, you know, because again, there's no right or wrong answers except what's right or wrong for the individual. And so that's my experience with regards to sleep and cannabis. But it's a fascinating topic, man. And, and again, like, you know, I really think there's going to be so much more research that comes out that we can actually like start having validated, you know, scientific studies that speak to these things. But even the preliminary research is pretty eye opening with regards to cannabis. And, you know, that being said, there have been a lot of studies with cannabis and, you know, they've never found that it causes cancer or causes any of the things that the powers that be say it does. That does not mean it's inherently perfectly safe and that it can't hurt you, but it does mean that compared to alcohol, the tobacco that's in cigarettes, you know, pharmaceuticals, it is safer than those. And I think that's one of the things that I rest my hat on knowing that, Hey, nothing in life is perfectly safe. I mean, the oxygen we breathe, is not perfectly safe. The water we drink is not perfectly safe, but I choose to interact with cannabis because it helps my experience of life. And at the same time, I realize that I'm not going to live forever. And so if something's going to allow me to gain insights that allow me to enjoy life more, for me, it's about quality of life, not quantity of life. Right. Right. And I, I shouldn't assume that everybody who listens to this show smokes weed, you know, because I'm <laughs> sure there are people who may, you know, see, oh, they're talking about weed and think like, oh, this isn't for me. But I think it's something that everybody can integrate into their life, even if it's only, you know, once a year. I mean, geez, you know, even if you if you just do it on a specific holiday that you, you really want to celebrate or whatever, you know, mm. like. I think that that could be something that really changes our society as a whole. If we if we were sort of using cannabis at the rate that we're using alcohol or at the rate that we're using tobacco, you know, it might make mm -hmm. for a more interesting culture, too. But, <laughs> but there was something you mentioned that I don't want to escape because I think people should should have some clarity. What's an aura ring? Because I Googled it and I spelled it wrong. I assumed yes. it was spelled like my human aura. But can yeah. you explain what that is? <laughs> Yeah. So I believe it's spelled O-U-R-A. I'm pretty sure, but it's a ring that you can wear. And what they say is that you should turn up the Bluetooth at night so you can disconnect it so that the EMFs are not interfering with your sleep, but it tracks your entire sleep cycle. So it tracks your REM, your deep sleep, all your cycles. And it gives you this uh, rating when you wake up in the morning of like what your sleep quality was overall. And then it breaks it down into individual constituents of like, you know, efficacy of sleep, you know, duration of time awake throughout the night that you don't even notice. And so you can start noticing like, oh, wow, I noticed that when I drink a lot of water before bed, let's say, right. And I try to pack my system with more water because maybe I didn't drink enough. I noticed that this goes down. Oh, interesting. And so you can start to, it kind of gets into the realm of like a little bit biohacking, which again, like part of the reason that I don't take the ring uh, and, and the results it gives me objectively is because here's the downside of it, right? Some days I wake up, I'm like, I feel great. I go plug it in and it's like, you got a 70 sleep score, which is super low for me. And then I start like, believing that. And then as I believe that I'm like, oh my God, now the podcasts I do today are going to be off on all these things. And so I use it as kind of like an interesting metric, but I don't, I don't dive into it super hard because again, certain days I sleep amazing. So the ring says, and then I wake up and I'm like, oh, I just don't feel dead on today, but it can be very illuminating. And the new one that just came out has a lot of other stuff added into it too, like heart rate variability and all these things. And so it is fascinating. And, you know, I like these devices because I'm just curious, man. I'm ever curious about optimizing my physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual being. And sleep being a huge part of that is definitely coming handy for me. <laughs> 100%. Yeah, I'm with you right there. I'm definitely 
You know, that that whole topic in general, I want to get somebody on. I, I think, what's his name? He We had him on Tinfoil Hat. Now, of course, his name's escaping me. But there was something <laughs> you mentioned about the pineal gland. And it's so weird. Episode 157, our guest was, was talking about the pineal gland. And I had this same feeling in my pineal gland, like almost like, <laughs> like disturbing like it was like it, it kind of hurts a little bit i don't know almost like a mm -hmm. cringe you know that cringe mm -hmm. feeling and it wasn't because of anything you were saying at all it's just like yeah. this inner inner feeling i mean it was partly because of of describing the pineal gland and i don't know what that is like i i'm not a horror movie fan i don't like gore but but the way you describe like the inner workings of the, the pineal gland it really like pulled at me and i don't know maybe there's something about that like the awareness you know putting your awareness mm. in that one place i don't know not really a question just something that i could not let, leave <laughs> unsaid <laughs> well i imagine again like there's infinite different possibilities of what happened but i imagine what might have happened is either one you could be out of balance in your sixth chakra which is what the third eye is based on you also could have a protection mechanism or something that knows that like diving into that world could be very powerful for you. And maybe something, some part of you is like gripping for white, white knuckling and being like, we don't want to let go of this version of our identity because I know having experimented with five uh, MEO DMT in the past with facilitators that like, right before I do that experience, I do have this visceral response of something in my body going, are you sure? Like, are you sure you want to experience this? And having done that medicine twice, that is one that is not for the faint of heart. I mean, like, again, I, I like to think I'm pretty experienced with regards to psychedelics. I'm no master. I'm, I'm no shaman or anything like that, but I've sat with very powerful facilitators and, you know, I've done these the proper way. And, and, you know, I've, I've had very enjoyable experiences and very challenging ones too, but you know, medicines like DMT, which again, that's really just activating what's being produced endogenously by the DMT, uh, by the pineal gland, you know, are so jarring sometimes that you need to make sure you have the right facilitator around. Because again, we're talking about disintegrating and reintegrating. I mean, that's such a quick experience too, but you go so far that unlike something like mushrooms where you're coming up and you're slowly like getting into the werewolf stage, I call it, where like you're transforming into the werewolf and this is time. DMT is like, boom, gone. And doing breath work, in a completely sober state of reality, sometimes I freak myself out with like the experiences I have. And so that's why I like that specific medicine, unless I have an extremely advanced practitioner and I have a very good reason, I stay away from it because I, again, like I've gotten my results that I've needed and I'm like, okay, I'm, not, I'm looking to be here now. Like I have infinity to be in that realm, right? But I really enjoy being here. And that's again, why I love cannabis so much because it, it, is, it can be lighter, right? It can definitely be extreme. I mean, anyone who's been interacting with cannabis long enough has an edible story, right? But at the end of the day, you know, it's much more forgiving in my experience and same with mushrooms and other plant medicines as well. But yeah, DMT is quite wild, especially 5-MeO. It's, it's quite the experience. <laughs> right, right. And another thing that you just reminded me of that I'm glad I didn't forget to mention, this breath work, you know, like I think that is particularly why things clicked for me as I was describing before with like all my friends were kind of just partying and I was using this as a tool as self-development and then I slowly realized, oh no, this is a being that I'm in a relationship sort of with. That was all in conjunction with me being a martial artist and doing a lot of intense, mm. you know, training where obviously breath work was a big part of it. And 
even this, you know, I mean, editing this podcast, I'll probably have to edit out a couple of my breaths because doing <laughs> this, you know, for an extended amount of time requires a certain amount of, you know, breath work. So, yeah, I think mm -hmm. there's something absolutely to that. And it's important to remind people you don't have to go and do, you know, another substance, you know, organic or otherwise to have one of these experiences. There are innate abilities that we humans have to to connect to you know things outside of our five senses and you're describing the the chakras and yeah absolutely i think that was a big part of you know what cannabis was showing me was how to work with these different energy centers and which ones were turned on when sort of this thing was happening or that thing was happening and i've done plenty of experiences or experiments, you know, that have led to various experiences. But, you know, I do know you got to go real soon. So let us know. Again, remind us where we can follow up with you. And Ryan, I'd love to have you back on to go yes. more in depth. Unfortunately, I mismanaged my schedule and uh, we didn't have as much time as we could have. But that's all right. We'll make up for it next time let us yes. know where, where we can follow up with you all the listeners and of course we got to get your show on alt media united i'm sure andre showed you that and and yeah let yes. us know awesome man i've had so much fun man i am so excited to dive into round two man i could talk to you all day and so for the people looking to find me at at on instagram it's at the real ryan sprague s-p-r-a-g-u-e is my last name that's my personal account i'm always on there the business account is at highly.optimized where we're posting constant pieces of uh, information and tips and tricks for cannabis and how to optimize your relationship with the plant. We have a free Facebook group called the, uh, the Ceremony Circle where we're making posts in there. And once a week, I'm going live in a Zoom chat. You can come in, you can hear what I'm saying and then ask me any question you want. We kind of do an off the cuff podcast with whoever's in the room. And then we have the website, highlyoptimized.me uh, where you can find out everything about the podcasts and the course and everything. And then the two podcasts, uh, which are on Spotify, Apple, Podcast Guru, Audible, pretty much anywhere podcasts are found, which are the highly optimized podcasts, which showcases conscious leaders living a life beat to their own drum. And this one time on Psychedelics podcast that speaks to true firsthand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks, and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of plant medicines. So that's where you can find me. <laughs> well said. Wow. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And I do encourage everyone to go and follow your podcast because you already sort of set me straight a little bit with some of <laughs> some of the things I had to ask and and yeah I have a lot of a lot of resonance with everything you said so I'm Thank looking you. forward to the next time we get together uh, respectfully I'll let you go and uh, for everyone <laughs> listening please enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now all right now we're gonna go over to this one time on psychedelics where ryan interviews me mystic mark thank you for being here thank you for listening be sure to support us on patreon we have a patreon podcast that has exclusive episodes that you won't hear on the my family thinks i'm crazy feed that's right we have exclusive whole episodes of synchro mystic exploration of the ever expanding now we have bonus Illuminati confirmed episodes. And you also get some old episodes that are in the bank from when I first started the Patreon. And of course, you get the early release when each episode is finished, produced, and ready to publish. I post it to Patreon first. Obviously, if you've been following the show for a while, you know 
Our episodes come out on Mondays and Wednesdays. Sometimes we put stuff out on Fridays and occasionally other days as well. But Mondays and Wednesdays are the days that I typically publish. So if I finish an episode, finish producing, editing, mixing, and all that stuff, I'll usually just post it to the Patreon right away. So who knows? Maybe you're all caught up. You've listened to all 168 episodes of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, plus all the bonus episodes on the feed, and you need more. Well, hey, go over to the Patreon. We would love your support. This is a value for value podcast. We are entirely supported by our patrons and the kind folks on Rockfin, as well as everyone who goes over to the merch store. It's summertime, baby. Get yourself a summertime t-shirt from the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy merch store. Now, enjoy this conversation with yours truly on This One Time on Psychedelics with Ryan Sprague. It's probably a little concerning. Like all these people who are smoking weed are also going to come up with these crazy theories. Well, hey, here's an antidote for that. Stop lying to us about this stuff. And you won't create a bunch of paranoid people who then go and question everything, right? Because, you know, I don't, I think Plato or Aristotle or one of these guys who has their head carved onto a piece of stone in a museum somewhere said, you know, question everything, question everything. Greetings, my brothers and sisters, sending gratitude to all of you who are joining in today to accompany us down the rabbit hole of self-exploration through plant medicines. My name is Ryan Sprague, and I'm here to tell you that your frequency is now set and tuned to explore psychedelic medicines and the impact they've made among the countless psychonauts exploring the last true frontier. Buy a ticket and take the ride with me as we get true firsthand accounts of the experiences, benefits, risks and transformations taking place within the ever-expanding world of psychedelic medicines on this one time on psychedelics as i imagine many of you listening to this show can agree with when i first began experimenting with psychedelics and plant medicines many members of my friends and family group began questioning my path they would attempt to place their own fears and anxieties surrounding these medicines onto me with the intention of protecting me. And in doing so, I was able to flip the script on the story I was telling myself about these actions. At first, I wanted to rebel and tell myself I knew what I was doing. However, when I really sat into it, I took these suggestions from my friends and family as opportunities to continue asking myself why I was so interested in exploring these medicines. And in doing so, I was able to find a deep sense of belief in myself and belief in what my heart was calling for. This allowed me to integrate more of the medicine that psychedelics was supplying for me at that time, which was to find strength in my own intuition and have faith in what my own unique expression of life was calling for. Today's guest in the show is someone who knows what this pattern feels like in his own life and has not only moved through it in his own way, but has also found the golden thread within it 
and created a platform for others who are experiencing similar challenges with family to find solace in. He is the host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, which dives down some of the deepest rabbit holes possible within the world and seeks to question everything we think we know about life to continue illuminating the pure mystery that is life. This episode is sure to be a deep dive in not only his experiences, but also what meaning he has made out of those experiences and how his life has benefited from them as a result. So please help me and welcome in my man, Mark Steves to the show. Mark, my brother. It's such a pleasure to have you here, man. <laughs> wow. And I hope you have video for this because I just raced to finish rolling this up while you gave me that amazing <laughs> intro. For everyone who's listening, if you know, if this is your thing, now's the moment. Spark up and get into the flow. And Ryan, yes. thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you and everyone who tunes in. You are so welcome, man. And, you know, for everyone listening, Mark and I just did an amazing episode on his show, which we're going to be tying into this show and releasing as a swap cast, which I am so jazzed up about. And we were just talking before we you know, started about this whole working smarter, not harder thing with podcasting and how to keep it fun for the listeners, right? Where they're able to, you know, hear different voices, right? And also hear your voice, but on the other end of the spectrum, right? Where you're not hosting, but you're getting interviewed and vice versa. And I think it's, it's so much fun. And, you know, one of the things that I've loved so much within my own psychedelic journey and by psychedelic, I don't necessarily mean just the times in which I've been in connecting with psychedelics, but I mean the, the glimpses behind the veil they've given me as to how life itself is a psychedelic experience, right? Some of my favorite things to connect with other individuals like yourself and see myself reflected in them. And, you know, I think that's one of the best gifts that psychedelics have given me. And we talked about this on your show, how we think we would have been best pals in high school, right? Because we liked a lot of the same things. And that Bob Marley poster you have behind you, dude, I had that on my wall for years, man. Like I didn't even interact with cannabis yet. I was like 13. I found it at a Dappy or Spencer's, one or the other, the cool store with the black lights. I found it. It spoke to me. I put it on my wall. Little did I know it was a premonition as to what was to come. And so I'd love to hear like, you know, with you getting into, you know, cannabis, other plant medicines, et cetera, what was the initial uh, call for you that got you into these things, right? Like where you would just say no kid for a while with dare program. Did you never believe it? Like, what was that trajectory? Like, I love getting into this. Yeah. Thank you. And I could remember similar feelings of like magnet magnetism towards Bob Marley and his imagery. And I had similar to your poster. I had a t-shirt with Bob Marley on it way before I ever even considered he had anything to do with weed. So, cause at that age I was definitely straight edge up until like, and I think, I don't know how far straight edge has made its way into the world, but as an <laughs> East coast guy, you probably have rem your memories of people saying I'm straight edge, right? That, that was a high school thing. So I was I got friends with the tattoos still. Oh, know, like, wow. That didn't end up the way you were. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. So yeah, I, I remember being really resistant to it because I had experienced a party atmosphere within my family. Never to the point where, you know, anything illegal or, or like abusive was going on. I never felt like I was in an environment that was unsafe. You know, it was just the general sort of gluttony of alcohol. And, and occasionally there'd be this odor in the house 
And I never knew what it was, but it probably tickled something inside of me because, you know, eventually I was prodded by my buddies to smoke and being a pretty against the grain person, I said no, because here was a crowd of people all subscribing to the same idea and belief. I had to be contrarian. So I, I really alienated myself from that friend group, kind of regret regretted that for like a, a few years in high school. But then another friend group did the same thing, said, hey, you should smoke. And knowing what that rejection was the second time around, I, I sort of considered it, but I had more in my world at that time to justify it. I had seen Bruce Lee writing about cannabis. I had seen Eddie Bravo smoking bongs and rolling jujitsu. And as a, a young wrestling, you know, athlete, I was a wrestler and a martial artist. I didn't want to do anything that would jeopardize my success in that sport. So to find out that on the contrary, cannabis might actually aid at least at the very least in the recovery from it. I was just so interested and I had already been interested in martial arts for non-traditional reasons in the sense that like you know at that time maybe a lot of people would have seen ufc and said oh i want to do that me yes i was a fan of ufc but i had this spiritual approach to martial arts i understood the philosophical concepts that went along with it and i came at it i didn't you know i wasn't like a seven-year-old karate student you know my parents didn't put me in <clears throat> I told my parents, I'm like, listen, I got in a fight at school. I want to go to martial arts. I want to learn how to fight. And my dad was like, of course. Yeah, of course. Let's do this. So, you know, I always had like a an, a very sort of like determined, disciplined approach to it, which didn't carry over into any other part of my life. Okay. I should say that <laughs> martial arts was probably the only thing that I was disciplined about at that age. So cannabis kind of added a whole nother level to it because I was, I eventually, you know, caved in, I smoked with my friends. I didn't feel anything and, and I, I liked it. And I remember watching like a comedy show too, where these people were smoking a blunt on TV, you know, and never seen that before. And I was like, Oh wow, that actually looks fun. The workaholics 10 seasons later, I probably seen every episode. So <laughs> that was five years ago, uh, me, but anyways, <laughs> workaholics was a big, big deal. When I was in high school, it was a sort of a part of that, like push over the edge. And then, yeah, last but not least, I mean, the idea that a plant consciousness could speak to me became really important. And I was reading about that in books about shamanism and anthropology, but I didn't understand at all what it meant until I actually had the experience uh, myself. And I, you know, smoked out of a bong with my friends, got incredibly high, just sort of let my whole guard down and, and was just saying everything that came to mind and which caused my friends to laugh and I just really enjoyed being like that social side of me that I'd never experienced because I was always very shy, very reserved, very careful, which was probably what got me in the fights because when I, you know, popped off, people didn't expect it. Yes. When I made a joke, people didn't expect it. 
<laughs> so a lot of influences and uh, you know bruce lee his Tao of jeet kune do kind of centered me in that philosophical like what martial arts was actually worth rather than if you just saw ufc you might think like oh that's cool like that's a cool job you could be like a celebrity or something if you become really good at this it never was about that for me it was more about oh i know i have this adversity in my life this is something that's going to be another skill another tool so that i don't have to face that adversity anymore i don't have to face the fear of what are other people going to do to me you know and i think once you experience that i know this isn't a martial arts podcast so i'll wrap, i'll be brief on this point but when you experience that confidence in your in your physical space it's like a drug it's like a it's like a psychedelic it's a freeing thing 100%. and and i you know i i hear comedians say this sometimes like this that guy looks like he needs to get punched in the face or something and I don't commend violence on anybody. I, the opposite. I would defend somebody from getting hit in the face. But there is a certain truth to that. Like some people have never experienced any physical adversity. So they treat others in a way that is really, really, you know, obvious that they're not reflecting much on how they feel, you know, how they're making <laughs> others feel. Right. So, yeah, martial arts centered me in in like a type of caring for others that I don't know if other sports could have given me that appreciation for. And then cannabis with psychedelics kind of coming a few years later, they definitely broaden that into a like, oh, not only do I need to figure out, you know, how to defend myself from how the world's trying to kill me and other people are trying to kill me, but there is like a whole other subsection of that that they're trying to keep from us you know, from learning about, and that's yes. contributing to this dilemma. So I, maybe I sound incredibly paranoid to your average listener who isn't into conspiracies, but I, it's very much a part of the same sort of braided thread for me. 100%. And I think people will love this because I am the biggest, I love entertaining every single conspiracy theory, because here's the thing. What separates a theory from a conspiracy theory, right? And this is something that I've really thought about a lot. I'm not conspiring for anything when I'm looking into these theories. I'm doing it to stretch what I think I know about the world because what I've realized, and I think I say this in your outro, but what I've realized is that what psychedelics have taught me and cannabis was the first one and the one that's still my biggest teacher in this is to question every single thing that other people tell us about the world because they might have the purest of intention and they might really believe something about the world that really helps them have the best experience of life possible. But I think one of the biggest traps in today's world, and I don't know if you looked into Paul Levy's work at all with Watiko, spelling Watiko and things like that. The last but, group of books that came to my house, his book Watiko was in that package, yes. Psychic. Yes. <laughs> and it's, it's so powerful because what is Watiko in my eyes, one of the main ways to look at it as the mind virus is allowing people to tell you what is true about life. And I think that one of the things that you were talking about that works perfectly here with regards to, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory at all. I think it's just business that if we start thinking about these things much more in depth, then guess what we start realizing? Oh, we're whole without having to have the nicest house. We're whole without having to have the nicest car. All we need is some quality relationships and a nice fire, maybe some good smoke. And that's all we need. 
I think that's really bad for business. And so I don't think it's necessarily conspiracy. Like they're trying to, you know, keep us in this evil state or anything. Who knows? Maybe there is, right? And maybe there's a little deeper. But I think the most basic way that I understand it is just like, it's not exactly good for business if we're not looking to, I mean, look what happened over the pandemic, right? The pandemic was almost a sober psychedelic experience for many people where they started realizing I could die tomorrow. Why the hell am I working at this job? I don't want to work here anymore. And now there's all this problem in the workforce where people don't want to do these mundane jobs anymore. It's very similar to like a shared psychedelic experience that happened in the sober state of reality. And so I think we're really onto something here where, you know, it makes sense. And, you know, I can say from my own experience is that, I mean, interacting with psychedelics has really allowed me to really uh, ask myself what quality of life truly means to me. And it's not measured in how many things I own or what I, you know, do, but who I be. And so I love that you brought that up because cannabis was the first plant for me. And still, like I said, the one that continues to help me every time I sit with it, you know, to really question and go, Hey, you know, I'm not looking to prove someone wrong because of what I believe, but I'm here to say, well, I believe this and have someone else go, I believe this and go, cool, let's have a discussion about it. Not in the sense that either one of us is trying to change one another's minds, but also with the complete awareness that, Hey, if Mark says something to me right now that I might not have believed before, but it sounds cooler for me, I'm taking that on into my life because why not? Right. I think that we all, you know, through Paul's other book, Paul Levy's other book, The Quantum Revelation, which is a fantastic book. It speaks about how there is no subject and object separation. So what that means is that through quantum physics, they're proving through a scientific type method, which is completely different than the uh, Newtonian Cartesian way of looking at things. They're proving what spirituality and teachers and ancient texts have been speaking about for years, which is we create our own reality. And so I think that one of the things that psychedelics have done for me so beautifully is to allow me to have the direct experience of that notion. And it's so powerful. And that is a much more brilliant way of phrasing it than I probably would. But as you were expressing that, I realized maybe I put the cart before the horse and I wanted to say something that I forgot to say. So before, you know, I kind of described like how I was straight edge and I, I didn't think cannabis was useful i thought it was bad the experience of being high by myself brought upon so much wonder that i was just like well if they lied to me about this they must be lying about everything and unfortunately yes. for the crowd of people you know for those of you maybe not unfortunately i'll take that prerequisite out but for those of you who don't smoke that might sound uh, a little weird and then the inverse for those of you who don't mess with conspiracy theories it is probably a little concerning like all these people who are smoking weed are also going to come up with these crazy theories well hey here's an antidote for that stop lying to us about this stuff and you won't create <laughs> yes. a bunch of paranoid people who then go and question everything right because yes. you know i don't i think plato or aristotle or one of these guys who has their head carved onto a piece of stone in a museum somewhere said, you know, question everything, question everything. Right. So, so, you know, cannabis sort of put me in that place of like question everything. Now LSD and, and psychedelics like MDMA, which I remember from our conversation, you, you mentioned MDMA, right. And Yes. I never even considered this a part of my psych uh, psychedelic experiences. It happened really early on. It was like right out of high school. These girls I was hanging out with were really into that stuff. 
And being an 18-year-old dude, I was really into them and whatever they were doing. So so I, I took some of it, and I had a scooter at the time. And I a motor scooter. Yes. And I was, it was a go pad. It was the kind you sit on, like the older style ones that were sort they've been around for like five years. Not any of the new ones that you see in cities where people are standing. Not one of those. Gotcha. I had a motor scooter too. So we'll have to talk about that in a different subject because I am fascinated. So sorry. (laughs) No, no. And this thing was cool too. I painted a magical emblem on the front of it, but oh, sick. I remember singing as I'm driving my scooter and, you know, people sing in their car. I don't know many people that sing at the top of their lungs on a (laughs) motorcycle or a scooter. Just, you're just, that's like, you're, you're on display for the whole world. (laughs) Yes. But I was just so in the moment and so like in love with music in that moment. And, and I remember feeling really, really hyper, hyper, hyper thinking like somebody took the speed of my thought process and turned it up times 16 and that made me really uncomfortable and that made me really wary of ever doing anything synthetic chemical laboratory produced ever again so that kind of stops right there and i don't have many psychedelic experiences until my buddy gets acid what we thought was acid but in, in hindsight i really think it was probably a research chemical because it kind of just like slowed us down, made us a little delirious, made us sort of, and me, I felt the most of it because my buddies, they probably did one of these on me. But uh, (laughs) for those just listening, I put my finger over my shoulder instead of my tongue. But yeah, yeah, I, I remember just sort of walking on the beach and feeling really, really tired and not at all, you know? So I had these like odd psychedelic experiences that weren't quite psychedelic and it really was a a more of a uncomfortable trial if if anything so that left me really wanting an organic experience so the first time that mushrooms were ever sort of around i was able to procure some and then i happened to be on a, a sort of a retreat the work retreat i was a a canvasser at the time and you know what i'm putting the cart before the horse again so the first (laughs) time i did mushrooms it was a chocolate truffle and i mean it was like inward inward and i don't remember anything i experienced that's the thing about mushrooms is i do notice how my personality has evolved after each mushroom experience, but it hasn't been until maybe the last three, which have happened sporadically over the past five years, because I really don't use psychedelics that frequently, but it was very inward and I really, yeah, I can't explain what was happening, but if I had to guess, I would say my higher self was intervening because things started to get progressively better in my life. And the track that I was heading down started to sort of make an upward trajectory curve into me being a more responsible person, being more financially capable of taking care of myself and all that stuff. Cause at that time when I was working the canvassing job, 
I was living in a fraternity house, fresh off of a award-winning run as a delivery driver. I was the best delivery driver this Chinese food restaurant had ever seen. And I was so good that I ruined my Forester, my Subaru Forester, just from, you know, grinding the engine, the gears and working six days a week. So I was a little, you know, screwed out of college, no degree because I dropped out. And I was hanging out at a fraternity house, which, you know, I'm not in college anymore. So what, what business do I have there? But these were sort of outlaws, outliers, if you will. And not everybody that was in this fraternity was a member of the college. So I was actually sort of welcomed in and, and went through the initiation, the animal house antics and all that. <laughs> but this became like a safe space and... If it wasn't for that safe space, I don't know if I would have like had these really uh, powerful psychedelic experiences because at home, yeah, I could lock myself in my room at night, but like there's no pulling off a psychedelic trip when you're living with your mom and dad, you know, yeah. like, unless 100%. you're pulling an all nighter, like, which I did that and I freaked my dad out because he wakes up at four in the morning and I came down to get a snack and he's like, why are you up right now? Like usually you're falling asleep at this hour and he, I'm like more awake than him. So <laughs> this, this place became like a safe space and that's where the really constructive experiences happened. And one of them that was like the most memorable and I, I've been talking a lot. So maybe I'll let you ask a question this before. Beautiful. Okay. I love this. So the most memorable of all of my experiences with acid and, and mushrooms, which I could probably only count on two hands, but it's it's foggy, understandably so. <laughs> it started with a candle meditation. And, you know, I've been reading about the occult. I've been reading about all kinds of stuff. And my friends all thought I was crazy. Like, why are you even reading all these books? Like, you don't even go to school anymore, you know? like. But I was reading the tree of life. I was reading, you know, about the ancient pyramids. I was reading about the secret doctrine and just trying to fill in the gaps, you know, from the indoctrination, all the holes that they leave you with. So <laughs> I start with the candle meditation in our basement, which was haunted. There's a ghost that lived in one of the closets and I made sure it was pitch black and I spent about 30, 45 minutes just trying to put my consciousness inside of each center of my, it wasn't something that I had ever done on a psychedelic trip before, but I hadn't tried this meditation a couple times where you just sort of chant a different tone that corresponds with each of your chakras. And while you do that, you sort of center your awareness in that place in your body. So I tried that because, you know, you, you put this in your system, you sort of get a little excited. You want to plan these things ahead of time. Me, I've never been the best at planning. So I kind of pulled this one out of my repertoire. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to walk up this mountain. And if anybody's ever been to New Haven and you're listening to this, which maybe cause we're sort of centric to the New England area. So maybe New Haven has two stone 
like cliffs that just sort of jut out of nowhere. You can see them if you're in the middle of the city. There's East Rock and West Rock, and they're these red rocks. There's red bare-faced cliffs, and they're not, you know, they're hills. If you're if you live in the Rocky Mountains or the Appalachians, you'd call these hills, but but they're big compared to most of the coastline. You know, you don't typically have a mountain that tall right next to the coastline. So I go up to this place and it's pretty steep. It's like there there are ways to get to the top of the mountain that aren't steep, but I had a sort of rite of passage that I was on, a self-induced rite of passage. So I ran for the most part as far as I could up the, this like incredibly steep trail until I was exhausted. And then I, 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 as a martial artist, I can push myself to that state of exhaustion. You know, it's not comfortable. It's not how I like to spend my day, but I <laughs> felt the, the, the technique of it was more important. Mm-hmm. And man, the head rush that I felt was incredible. Like, and I had to stop and like say to myself, like, oh, wow, okay, like you are actually, you could fall off this cliff now because you're pretty high up now. So I didn't keep running, but I made my way up. And by then I had winded myself. So it was pretty exhausting to get to the top. And that second head rush of feeling like, oh, my feet are on flat ground again was incredible. So, you know, people who are like me and they like to go out in nature and be in the woods, like there's a whole nother dimension to these plant medicines when you're in their environment. And being in New England, I don't think that many psychedelics are endogenous to here other than cannabis maybe can grow endogenously, but like the psilocybin mushrooms too cold for them. I don't know. Yeah. Amanitas, I think, uh, grow in some places, but honestly, I've never felt the call to engage with Amanitas just mm. because of the experiences I've heard. But I think they do uh, grow endogenously here in certain places. Mm. Yeah, I've heard that the secret with that is that you have to ferment milk and put the fermented mushrooms in milk. But I'm not an expert. Mm. But my my Very interesting my thought of bringing that up is. I'd wonder how amplified that would have been if I was in the plant medicines natural environment because I already felt so connected to the land just through place of birth and then through this set and setting and experience of of this plant in my system, you know, my consciousness sharing, sort of sharing the cup with me, so to speak. Now... I get to the top, I venture around, this is midday, and I'm just hiking around the woods with no intention of going back. <laughs> just, you know, I'm, I'm going to stay up there as long as I can. And I sit down on this really tall rock that's a cliff, but it's not a cliff like the one I climbed up. It's like a cliff over a little valley that's on top of this mountain. And it's sort of a you know, 20 feet up and like really centering, 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 trying to just be in my breath. And as I'm doing that, a buck, a, a deer, a male deer with antlers and probably like, you know, it was an old, it was an old boy, you know, you can tell when their antlers get to a certain size, like they've had antlers for a certain amount of seasons. Mm. So 
he's looking at me like, what's this rock? And I'm looking at him like, whoa. And, you know, when you're breathing <laughs> and you're center, you're calm and you're, you're just, I'm just trying to be as still as possible, which was easier with the psychedelics. I think I would have been more like quick to pull my phone out or something that would have scared it if I wasn't in that state of mind. But that was incredible because, you know, just being that close to any living animal it, from that state of mind is powerful. But that particular animal spoke to me on like a omen sort of spirit animal level. I had a friend at the time who's a Native American who kind of corresponded and concurred with that thought that like, yeah, there might be some significance there. And he had been sort of helping me understand all this from that point in time when I dropped out of college. I had known him and we had smoked together and, you know, sort of gave me a deeper understanding of more than a book could of like what a plant's consciousness actually was and why you should respect it, et cetera, et cetera. So I did always have a sort of like reverence for these experiences that I think I can't not mention it because it's, it's, you know, for people listening who might want to like inspire to do their, you know, thing, however they do their thing, you know, that's important. That's probably the most important thing is the intention and the amount of, of respect you have for what you're about to do. And I took it so seriously, you know, I was in a house full of like other same aged guys who were probably taking the same stuff. But the difference was they would stay in the house. They would turn the music up to 100 or they would put a crazy movie on or they would drink beer or, you know, and all of these things that created a situation that, you know, they're still alive. They're fine. They're human beings. But I would say from our perspective of living in this alternative space, if you want to manifest, these are sort of not going to be like a shortcut to manifesting your dreams, but they're going to reveal the obstacles that are in your way. You know, and I say that because people are always looking for a quick fix and I was looking for a quick fix. But because I was a martial artist, I understood that, you know, to be good at something, it takes time and to be great at something, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, I was hoping to be great at life. I want to get paid in the shade and, and <laughs> not have to work. You know, you have to be yes. pretty great to, to avoid that, you know, the, the, the humdrum economic hustle that, you know, especially living where we both live, it's a lot more challenging, you know, it's yeah. not like either of us were born on a family farm or something like that, you know, so. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's it's definitely a way out of the system if you know how to use it as a tool. And now this podcast, I think the one that I've done for almost since 2020 is proof positive. I mean, if I was on my podcast for this amount of time and I had received maybe the same amount of listeners the whole time, I don't know, maybe I would give up and do something else. But the response that people have to the show is telling me that, not only are you onto something, not only are you not crazy, not only is your family probably wrong, but <laughs> there's a reason why we're all responding to this. Cause it's not indigenous to me. I'm just like a good 
communicator and and I have an instinct of what to do and what to learn and and when I speak on the podcast people tell me they like to hear it so but all of that wouldn't have happened if I I didn't take this serious approach to self-improvement and psychedelics can kind of push you to that brink of like life or death too at some points where you really contemplate like what is my purpose here and I had those experiences They're probably harder to recall and harder to retell but as I'm like saying all this other stuff they're sort of fading in and out and and there was some really weird you know sort of moments where it was like I'm not gonna just you know like you have to like I would just be talking to myself like I'm not just gonna like settle for that you know because there's this feeling inside of like oh Maybe my dad's right. I should just go be a plumber or an electrician or something like, <laughs> yeah, just sell the books. You know, what, what are they good for? You know, but that's not who I am. And that's the opposite of how I feel. If you couldn't sense my sarcasm there, folks, don't worry. <laughs> Keep your money in your pockets. These books are mine. I'm not selling them anytime soon. And that's the thing, though, is there's so much info out there and so many people were like me, a delivery guy who chose that job, you know, this is kind of after a lot of my psychedelic experiences, but I chose that job specifically because I could listen to podcasts and get paid and I was re-educating myself. And now I have a really cool opportunity to help other people educate themselves and, and get out of the matrix. So I think psychedelics were pivotal in intricate and inextricable part of that process. Mm, I love that, man. That was so beautiful. And, you know, it's so fun podcasting with other podcasters because we know like, you know, first of all, we always have amazing equipment, but second of all, we always know how to speak. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I have amazing guests on, but every once in a while, someone will tell me like, how much do I speak? How much do I not speak? And I'm sure you've had that with guests as well. And so it's so amazing to be able to have these deep dives uh, with other podcasters too, because, you know, not only that, but I also see myself reflected in you in many different ways. Not only do did we listen to similar music, right? Do we not both have motor scooters, which I think is really crazy, but we also both started our podcast in 2020 and, and mine specifically happened after an MDMA ceremony in Las Vegas at a strip club, right? The last place you would think that you were going to have an awakening, but I was out in Las Vegas with my girlfriend. We went to a uh, cannabis convention out there because we were both working in the industry and similar to you. I started working in cannabis because it was just, it was calling me. I was like, I need to do this. And I got into it for, let's just say different reasons than the company that took us over. They got into it. You know, like my reasons were like, I want to help people. I want to spread the message of this plant. And I want to ensure that I'm educating people on how to use this plant consciously and intentionally, not because it's the right way to use it, but specifically because I had had the direct experience that when I interacted with it this way, the plant opened up a lot more opportunities for me to, you know, have self-discovery, self-awareness, et cetera. So I knew it wasn't going to be everyone's path, but I'm like, Hey, certain people, right? Like me or you are. And I imagine most people listen to this podcast. I'm like, they got questions. I have what I would call answers, but not answers. They're just like what I've gotten to at this point, you know, but like, and so I started working there and throughout the next three years, I had an amazing experience. And then another company took us over. It was a bunch of, let's just say, 
chads and brads i don't know how else to say it you know but a certain archetype and started smelling like office supplies in that place you know mm. real quick i was like this this smells like a staples you know mm. and uh, you know that smell when you walk into a staples and you're just like man this is the most boring smell i've ever smelled in my yeah, life like that whiteboard smell. eraser yeah dude like reams of paper and whiteboard erasers you know just like not the smells i want for 500 please you know but but like so I went to Las Vegas to go to this convention to find investors so we could start our own business and blah, blah, blah. We went there. All we found was more of the same suit and tie type. How many grams per square foot can you get me? What bloom boosters do you use? I'm like, this place is a fucking nightmare. So last night or the second to last night, I asked her, I'm like, hey, we're both feeling kind of beat up, you know, in terms of like, man, this kind of sucks. You know, we thought we were going to come out here and find investors. And we just found we went into the belly of the beast. And so I asked her, I said, what do you want to do? It's our second to last night here. She's like, can we go to a strip club? Because neither of us had ever been before. So I was like, hell yeah. Like, I'll say yes to that. Like, I'll take things every guy wants their girlfriend to save for 500, please. I'm like, <laughs> opportunity. So we go and we take MDMA and we have an absolute blast. So at the end of that, I had this experience where basically MDMA showed me through a series of events, which I won't draw it out. I've already told it on the podcast, but through a series of events, it allowed me to really take a look at my relationship with cannabis. And at that point I realized, oh, I'm numbing out with cannabis unconsciously to work through this job that I don't like anymore. And it hadn't always been that way, but I'd started doing it and just hadn't noticed it. So I went home, I took a three month break from cannabis. During that time, I was accessing more of my higher self. Like you were saying, everything was coming online. I was crying to music playing. I was like reading books and just like having my whole world blow up. And it was really like when you break through in a five gram mushroom experience and like everything is there, all the answers to all the questions you've ever had. It was like that was happening in a sober state. And so I started my podcast, had no idea what I wanted to do on it, but just was following my heart. And so I really loved that, that idea that you were speaking about as to how you got into podcasting and how psychedelics influenced it. And, you know, one of the things that I'll say also is, you know, because I know that you love conspiracies and I love conspiracies. And I imagine, do you watch Gaia at all? I imagine you, you probably have watched Gaia at some point in your life. Right? Yeah, I've seen it. I, we, uh, my girlfriend and I, we bought a subscription to it to watch Freddie Silva's documentaries uh, a while back, but we just did like the dude the first month, I think. You're blowing my mind, bro. <laughs> no way did you just mention Freddie Silva. So I watched the show Open Minds. I think the host is amazing, like Game Recognized Game. Oh my God, yes, dude. He, he was on there. I found out about him through there. I just watched his documentary called The Missing Gods, and it's unbelievable. Yeah, that's what we mind, watched. It's amazing. Yeah, it's so good. And he, his episode of Open Minds is really good too. But through there, I found out about Patrick Flanagan, the guy who believes he was Nikola Tesla in a past life. And the stories he has are wild, building Tesla coils in the 40s at age seven, just out of like, you know, uh, ham radio parts and stuff. And uh, so on Gaia, and there's a show called Galactic Messages, which is these channeled messages from the Tigetans, which are an interstellar race, surrounding the whole idea of why so many people right now are starting to resonate with things like you and I like talking about, right? Because for a long time, everyone was like, yeah, whatever, dude, about spirituality. And now I have friends that I would never expect would reach out to me being like, hey, man, I'm starting to feel this call to like reach out to you about this thing. I don't even know where to begin. And I imagine you've been having similar things, too, where you're just noticing, like you were saying, like, hey, I started this podcast because I loved it, but now people are really catching on. And it's like, why are so many people more interested in this stuff now? Well, this theory says that, and for anyone listening, this might be pretty wild. Go check out Galactic Messages, come to your own conclusions, right? But what the Tigetans say is that way back in the day, there was a war between the Galactic Federation, which Mystery School talks a whole lot about, and uh, the Draconians. And basically both forces took a huge hit. 
And basically after that, the draconians were trying to come to earth and the galactic federation was like, we got to prevent them from getting there. And so some of them had already landed on earth. And so what happened was the galactic federation went to the moon and they built these 10 quantum supercomputers that cast a matrix within the matrix. So 5d has its own matrix, AKA set of laws that agreed upon to be able to play this game. But then 3d is only around earth. And so once you go through the Van Allen belt, you're out of 3d. And so it's this, it's this illusion that's cast upon earth. But the reason they did it was to trap the draconians here and keep them powerless. But yet, over the last 12,500 years since they built these computers, they were supposed to go back and work on them. They, they only recently started going back. So basically eight out of the 12 have failed now. So the matrix is actually lifting. 3D is starting to change. And that's why now you're seeing more Sasquatch sightings and you know ghosts and all of these things start happening, the abductions and all of this stuff. Because according to this theory, the the matrix is literally like the illusion of it is ending because the quantum supercomputers that are casting it are dying out and so i don't know if you heard that theory but it's it's a fascinating theory and i love the show galactic messages because it breaks a lot of this stuff down with the power of belief but you know again i love learning about stuff like this not because i know that it's true i don't know anything right but it's so fun to realize to have the direct experience and this psychedelics did this for me that the biggest thirst trap in life is when society says that you are your worth is what you know when in reality there's no way to know anything other than i am the universal truth right that we are and that's it not that we're men women whatever it's just we are we're our energy we're here and so for me anytime that i can hear something that stretches my comfort zone and stretches and allows me to realize oh i guess i didn't know that and even if i do think i know it i still don't know it until i know it and when i think i know it i still don't know it it's a cyclical process that it really transformed for me and I was able to flip the script and realize, oh my God, the best part of life, the part that I get highest on is how much I don't know. Because when I don't know anything, everything is a mystery. Everything is magic. And personally, I just choose to believe and, and live my life that way because I've tried it both ways. And I like this way more. And that's what I tell people. You can live life however you want. You want to believe there's no magic in the world? Hey, more power to you. I've just done it both ways. And I choose this one because it's much more fun. And so I love that you brought that up, man, because, you know, my podcasting journey is very similar based around psychedelics. I love getting into conspiracies. You know, one of the funny things that some guy I got to connect with, a fellow Mark, my buddy, Mark England, he loves conspiracies as well. My buddy Eddie does. And I remember one of the similarities. Once my buddy Adam Chin, who's Mark's business partner, had met Eddie, he was like, oh my God, Mark and Eddie are going to get along amazing because they both fall asleep to conspiracy theories at night, right? And that was like the funniest saying I had ever heard. But it's amazing, man. You know, it's so much fun chatting with you and being like, wow, you're, we're very similar in a lot of ways. And I'm curious, have you done your human design before at all? No, but you're, you're going to get your mind blown again because I was just talking to Ben and Joe from the UFO Garage podcast about the Draconians last night. So <laughs> reading my mind. <laughs> That's amazing, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I haven't done a human design. What's that? So it's so essentially the story is that this guy like where astrology and the I Ching and these things and Tarot have been around for millennia, right? Human design was channeled in the 90s or somewhere around there by this guy, Ra, Ra Aruutu, I believe his name was. I might have butchered that, but he channeled it and it took him about 10 years to put all this together. But essentially what he believes he channeled was that if the earth is a living being, and it's our God, right? It's our God in this 3D to 5D reality, right? We're living on this planet, this planet is sentient, et cetera, et cetera. 
then the earth being the creator of all of us has a design for how each thing is made. So for instance, like part of the hardware for humans is that we have two legs, we have two arms, right? But in terms of how our psychology works, that's a little bit different amongst certain people. And so there were these universal principles in the design and there are these very subjective principles in the design. And so when you put in your birth date, your birth time, et cetera, your birth country, everything, it essentially gives you a snapshot in time as to when you were born and what your personality patterns are and everything. And I bet, I would bet my bottom dollar that you have a one in your design because, and I would even bet that you might be a five one like I am because I just see a lot of similarities between us where fives are the heretics. So they'll question everything because they don't they want to not believe anything unless they believe it they have to have the experience of it to believe it they're also guides mentors etc etc they're teachers and the ones are the investigator so they need to know everything about everything now how you liberate that is realizing you'll never know anything about anything and that the real fun is investigating and realizing you don't know it and you know it's very interesting because out of astrology and all these things that I think have a lot of credibility to them, something about human design just struck me very deeply. And so I think you would really take a liking to it. Super fun. Yeah. It sounds like, it sounds like something that I've probably seen on the internet and maybe done if it's like answer a few questions and get Mm -hmm. an answer. Mm -hmm. I don't remember. I remember having the number eight life number. And then I also know my natal chart stuff, but yeah, no, I'd be interested in, in that for sure. Yeah. If you know your birth time, your birth date, et cetera, basically birth time is the only one that most people don't know. I know because my mom said it to me constantly throughout my life. You were born at 327 on 328. So like literally as soon as they asked me, I'm like, I got this answer. I know this one like the back of my hand, Yeah, <laughs> but it's fascinating, man. And I'd be curious to see if you're a projector as well, because projectors, that's what I am. We use our voice, like usually out of all of the centers in our body, because when you look up your free chart, it'll tell you some stuff and you'll be able to gain some information right off the bat. But there's so many levels to it that go in deeper. And my closed or defined centers are my throat, my third eye and my crown. So what that means is that I don't have a defined sense of self. So I can chameleon a little bit when I'm around different groups of people and just not change my personality, but I just flow with anyone else's energy. Mm. I also don't have a root chakra filled in. So my emotions are a little bit less overarching, if that makes sense, or less, less overwhelming. Overwhelming is not the right word because I don't mean to say that people that have that are overwhelming with emotion, but they know their emotions really well. For me, I'm like, I don't know if I feel emotions some days and then I feel them and then I don't sometimes. So I'm curious for you because, you know, usually people with a defined throat we have podcasts for speakers etc so it's very interesting man it's curious it's curiosity provoking <laughs> yeah no i've had a friend of mine who's been on my podcast before laura lenhard she has a a shop in connecticut hold on a motorcycle's passing mm-hmm. oh it's gone all right sorry that Isn't i live that near worst, a, a loud road so yeah same dude right here <laughs> yeah i'll get i'll get some soundproof stuff for for the window there eventually yeah. but yeah, so Laura did a chakra tuning test with me the first time I ever went into her shop. It's called Talisman and Cauldron. It's it's in uh, Derby, Connecticut. But yeah, really, really opening at that point in my life. You know, like I said before, cannabis and, and psychedelics kind of opened up my personality. I was kind of reserved, shy, 
uh, for really no reason because everybody I'm I'm six eight so everybody tries to talk to me wherever I go six five two sorry right. <laughs> yeah especially in the at times when you're like okay all right no I don't play basketball <laughs> but <Dude. laughs> I had nickel for every time I was asked that question I'd be so, rich <laughs> yeah so that mixed with the sort of you know martial arts again I've definitely experienced a sort of clarity in that. But kind of losing track with what point I was trying to make there, the motorcycle and then the hike comment, I could probably talk about that forever. But but yeah, no, there there's that. Oh, okay, so yeah, my throat shocker definitely was a part of that session. Like she noticed a lot of energy there, but the third eye was where all the energy was. And I don't know what it is, man. I mean... I just sort of fuel my third eye all the time. And I'm, I definitely, I'm still, you know, maybe not ready to do that transition to less cannabis in my daily intake, but I could see that's on the horizon because, you know, this, you can only burn a candle so bright until you lose all the wax so i kind of i need to yeah just maybe slow things down a little bit but i credit a lot of my intuition to cannabis and i've always told people like listen you just need to connect with who you are inside that's that's the most important thing i use to learn this information like i'll pick up a book and i'll read eight chapters of it that's not going to be one through eight that might be chapter four chapter seven and then every chapter after chapter seven because i'm like oh this is the part of the book i needed but mm -hmm. that's also why i really love nonfiction; it saves you some time but <laughs> but you know i i i'm always always investigating always investigating but whether i have answers i'm kind of you know i'll go back to what you were saying earlier about the channeling stuff like as much as I've received a lot of great advice from those sources, that's not the first source I give someone if I tell them like, well, you know, if I'm trying to make a case for something, like if somebody were to argue uh, that cannabis isn't useful, you and I both can probably cite many reasons why they're wrong. Whereas if somebody were to tell me no channeling, I would never, I would totally just back off and be like, yeah, sure. Because mm -hmm. I think it's such a personal thing it is. that it only speaks to people who are on that path ready. But I also say that too, knowing that there are many people who take advantage of that. So I'm always very ca cautious about channeling and, and talking about that as like a source of mine, because I know... I could lead people astray potentially. Like I've read the book, Urantia, the Urantia book. And it's a very interesting book, especially considering it was channeled in the 1850s. And they talk about the Galactic Federation. They talk about this huge group of people in other galaxies. And the names of these places are so distinct that you would almost have to like run it through I think now that we have the technology with like bots to determine with AI, like if something is human syntax, like we need to like examine the Urantia book and figure out like, can we prove that this was not written by someone, you know, just off the top of their head? Cause that would be, you know, an amazing piece of evidence against, you know, those who say channeling is all bullshit. But that being said, there's a cult run by a guy named Gabriel 
who uses the book, the Urantia. He didn't write the book. He just found the book. He became a devotee of the book, and he became so devoted to the book that now he's able to impress people with his recall, and, and you know, that has given him this sort of power to run a little cult. So, you know, that's where I'm, like, very interested in this stuff as what it says to the overall piece of the puzzle where does everything fit in because it's oftentimes never uh one way and it's never just black and white there are many grays many shades of in between and like you know how do you account for that you know an inspiring work that maybe was potentially channeled through these beings then gets repurposed for some madman's cultish ideology, right? So <laughs> yeah. it's it's a twisted system at that point, but it doesn't take away from the the truth possibly that it was there originally. And I mean, what does that say in a broader sense about most of our religions? You know, everything gets taken and used politically. Cannabis taken away from its sacred position and used politically for years, right? So I think that's kind of where I started and where I come back to every time is like consciousness, you know, no matter what it is, like even JFK, I mean, my shirt says alien shot JFK, but <laughs> there are alchemical perspectives to that whole conspiracy theory, which, you know, maybe not the right show for that topic, but if uh i love diving into those things <laughs> well maybe rfk we could do an episode on rfk because there was yeah. that whole thing where he got spiked with lsd i think that the story somebody tried to like hurt him by uh poisoning him you know and they spiked his drink with lsd and he fell out of a window or something like that i don't remember oh the goodness. whole story but that's wild yeah but it's you know it's definitely a touchy situation too Cause like I've received so much insight from LSD, but when you look at who was responsible for like it coming to America and being implemented the way it was, seems like the CIA to me. So like things are so dualistic, right? And I think maybe there's a component of that to bring it to astrology. Cause you kind of mentioned, well, I mentioned the natal chart, but mm -hmm. when it comes to age of Pisces which we're leaving think about that that's a dual sign there's two fish revolving around each other now we're heading into this age of Aquarius where it's like water is being poured right this water is being poured on everything and what happens when you pour water into maybe like a dirty bowl or something the dirt eventually is basically like you know sifted out it makes the water really foggy and gross and if you keep adding 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 water there reaches a point where the dirt is all gone right mm -hmm. so i think we're almost coming to a purifying point and that water is our spirit it's consciousness it's it's truth it's creator you know however you choose to d define that you know total absolute that i am right that's coming into the play the the picture at this point in time so i don't even know if we necessarily need the xyz arians whoever they are you know from whichever star system to tell us this because if we just take our two feet on the ground 
and look up, we can see what's going on. You know, we've, we've tracked the ages. We know from the Mayans to the Chinese to the Jewish calendar. And then we see that, you know, we see these mass shifts of human consciousness with the changing of the cycles. So I think, you know, the, the fact that we have plant medicine at our disposal the way we do now is evidence of that. 100%. And I think that, you know, I heard someone speak about this and I think it's one of the best ways that I've heard plant medicines, like what's their purpose? Cause I asked that to myself a lot. I'm like, why are they here? And of course, like what answer comes to me is much more of a feeling of just a reassurance that I do know. And by no, I mean, believe what I choose to believe is why they're here. But one of the things that someone said was, you know, they are here because I, like undoubtedly whoever our, our, you know, the, the Supreme creator is, you know, recognize that we would go through times in which we would take the magic out of life, live more Newtonian, think there's no magic, forget who we are, all of these things. And yet, how are you going to stamp out things that grow from shit or grow through cement, right? There's no way you're going to stamp all of that out. Psychedelics had to be hardy like that because the Supreme being would also know that as these medicines started getting out there, the powers that be at that point would try to stamp them out. And by the time they realized that like, oh, these are actually really like high quality and they can help with PTSD and all of these things. And now science is showing, you know, we wouldn't want them stamped out, right? If they were something that was really rare and then we had to, and then people tried to stamp them out, they'd be gone forever. And so what I really think is that this age of Aquarius is you know, they talk about the second coming of Christ and all of these types of things, but I don't think that that metaphor, because I, I truly believe it's a metaphor, I don't think it means that it literally Christ is going to come back. I think it's going to be a redash membering of Christ consciousness on a global level. And I think that that's what Aquarius, the age of Aquarius represents for me, is Pisces was duality, which is essentially Watiko, because duality is getting stuck into the mind virus of thinking things are good or bad objectively, right or wrong objectively. And guess what's happening as a result of that? divide and conquer. People think, oh, this is good. Your side's bad. My side's good. And so they argue with each other. And what are they really doing? They're forgetting that the reason they're arguing with this person is because they are that person living a different reality. And so where attention goes, energy flows. And as the law of correspondence says, as within, so without. So if they are experiencing anger with this other person, it's because it's reflecting the anger within them. And part of that anger is refusing to accept who and what they truly are. It's all unconscious, right? As I've worked with the clients, but you know, I think that this age of Aquarius is helping people get to the point where they realize, Hey, so long as you're not looking to hurt anyone, I'm not here to convince you how to live life. You know, like the famous philosophers, Plato, you know, uh, Aristotle, all these guys, they weren't as concerned with stating things and saying, you have to agree with me. They were just like, this is what I believe. And then someone else would go, this is what I believe. And they'd go, cool. That's awesome. High five. We don't need to agree. Right. And I think that another big one of the thirst traps, one of the biggest thirst traps of society is thinking that the point of learning is to convince other people that they agree with you. And if they don't, you need to work as long as it takes to make them believe what you believe. When in reality, you don't want to take that sovereignness away from anyone else. They are God experiencing God as well. 
the same way you were God experiencing God. And so our only mission here is to, like you were saying, and, and you spoke to this so well, which is another reason I brought up human design. My strategy for going through life is waiting for the invitation. And I, this is why I think you're a projector because it's one of the main strategies for projectors. It might be the only one, but basically what I would do for a long time is I would learn about some really deep stuff. I mean, talking conspiracies, plant medicines, et cetera. And then I would regurgitate it upon people that weren't wanting to hear it. And then I would get like frustrated when they didn't want to hear it. And I'd go, no, 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 you must not get what this means. Let me tell you more. And they'd be like, holy shit, kid, stop. Right. And so on the other hand, when you are just doing your podcast and being you and you're wearing, you know, the shirt you're wearing, whatever, and you're out in the world and you're loving life and someone goes, dude, Mark, hey, like, where did you start learning about this stuff? Boom. Now the invitation has been made and you can successfully and healthily place that info and allow them to go, cool, I want to take that on or cool, I just wanted to know and they form their own belief. But I think this waiting for the invitation strategy is so powerful for it sounds like people like you and I because I want to tell everyone everything right but well, and I aren't wanting to hear it I'm with you 100% but I'm almost really grateful for that experience of not being met Same. with you know <laughs> what I expected because it teaches you how to explain yourself better you know and yes. then once you're like once you're a little bit like more iron and and ready for it you're like okay now it's not me, it's them. And this is when this lesson comes in like, oh, okay, it's really not them either. And yes. that's sort of, yeah, that's where you got to come to. But, oh, I wouldn't be as sharp as I am now if I didn't spend so much time arguing with people when I was a teenager and, and young man, you know, and, and it yes. definitely didn't win me many friendships, you know, but that's that's actually, you know, I think you can appreciate this on the East Coast. Maybe it's a little bit more appreciated on the East Coast. And I don't mean to just be so central to one location. There's other places in the world where this dynamic happens socially. But the reputation and authenticity do mean something around here. Yes. You know, whereas in maybe smaller towns where there's less of an option to go and be somewhere else, your community matters most. So you're more willing to sort of vibe with the tribe because it means you know hey if i don't i'm be i'm gonna be by myself because i'll, I'll have to move or something right whereas here you know you could just hop over to the next town and make a whole new group <laughs> of friends you know yeah. but that that comes with like well who are you people are like where the hell are you from what's your real story so mm -hmm. being authentic is is an extremely important thing at least i've noticed you know and that was a big part of learning martial arts because when i was a kid i just wanted to make friends and and if you're not you're you're not true to yourself you're gonna get into a lot of a lot of fights yes 100 percent. people aren't true to themselves either but they notice what they don't like about themselves in you and then they take it out on about. you you know and yes. like attracts like so if you don't get out of that cycle you stay amongst those people and you know, there's that saying, like, you're defined by, like, your five closest friends or something like that, that sort of thing. And, and yeah, there's, there's truth to that. But I also, you know, I don't like to say something like that because I know a lot of people out there might not be able to count five friends. I'm one of them who, you know, at points in my life, that's how I felt, you know, now I'm blessed to have all these podcast connections and you know the friends that have remained my friends throughout you know the majority of my life but 
Yeah, even like from middle school to to now, that's less than five, you know, because it's just it's just the way life goes. But I think when you sort of integrate it in a way where you become an example, you start to become sort of like a, you know, an outlet for people who are in the position you were five years back or two years back or even two weeks back, you know, sometimes you yes. meet people who are two weeks ahead of you and you're like, Oh crap, I got to step it up, you know? <laughs> so I think there's, there's always a, a learning, but right now I would say, yes, there's some kind of Aquarian spiritual water fertilizing the psychedelic earth. <laughs> and you know, what's really cool about it too, is that with the age of Pisces ending, the masculine uh, energy is leaving and it's not leaving, but it's coming back into divine masculinity, which this is like such a silly term sometimes. And I recognize that, but what true divine masculinity is, is divine masculinity as compared to the masculine approach we've seen in society for the last hundred years or so, or actually a lot longer, but since like modern history for the last hundred years or so, the other form of masculinity tried to stamp out the feminine because it was scared of it. And why was it scared of it? Because it was scared of its own feminine nature. It was scared that it wouldn't be masculine if it was feminine, right? And so, whereas matriarchal societies of the past, the reason divine masculinity was there was because they recognized an equal balance between masculine and feminine energy. And men, you know, this, this immature version of masculinity was projecting their own internal state. Well, if we're trying to stamp out femininity, then if we allow matriarchal societies to come back, then they're going to stamp out masculinity, not realizing that divine femininity does not try to stamp out the same way divine masculinity does not try to stamp out. It was a big projection. But I think that one of the coolest things I'm seeing that I love that is happening with me, I imagine it's happening with you, and it's happening with a lot of people right now is that I have no want to argue my points of view anymore with anyone. I'm just here to spread awareness of what my experience of life is. And if people like it, awesome. If they don't, awesome, right? And I think that's more of this feminine energy coming in where it's no longer that competitive masculine, no, you need to believe what I believe and it's a battle and an argument until I win. And the whole point of arguing is just to win and to get one over on people. And I think that and that's why if someone tries to ask me, well, how do you know the Tigans exist? I go, I have no idea, but I choose to believe it because it's really fucking cool. You know? <laughs> and so that's, that's all you need too. To. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm with it. I'm with it, man. Well, yeah, man. Yeah. I, Dude. I think, I think this double edition, right? Because people are listening to this from the, my family thinks I'm crazy podcast. And they're also listening to this on the, this one time on psychedelics podcast. This one time on psychedelics podcast. Thank you. Yeah. I didn't want to yeah. say any gotcha. variation of that because it is a little complicated. <laughs> now I get it. This one time on psychedelics. Folks, yeah. if you're listening on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, go over, subscribe to this one time on psychedelics on the same app you're listening on this, unless you're on YouTube or Spotify, in which case get a better podcast app. You could do that if you go to podcast index. Just search that anywhere and you'll find some better podcast apps but ryan this has been so much fun brother oh my goodness mark where can people find you man where can they connect with you where can they find the podcast you just said a couple of places but where can people find you and connect with you because i imagine my audience is going to absolutely love what you bring to the table thank you yeah alt media united is the podcast cooperative and you can find my podcast there pretty soon you'll find Ryan's podcasts, multiple podcasts there. And then I will also direct people to myfamilythinksomecrazy.com 
to get maybe a more in-depth situation for what I've got going on, merch, support, videos, all that stuff. So, yeah, a lot of fun, brother. I appreciate you having me on. Of course, man. And I got one last question for you if you're up for it, right? And that question is this. If someone listening was just swayed by you to experience psychedelic medicines for the first time, what is the one piece of advice that Mark Steves would suggest to allow them to have the smoothest experience possible? Mm. One piece of advice. One piece. (laughs) Have a good friend there with you. And if you like to smoke weed, be careful because you're going (laughs) to exhaust your supply and you're not going to feel anything. So just moderate. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. That's beautiful. Okay, guys. When I first met Mark after hearing about him through a mutual friend and having the opportunity to be a guest on his podcast, I was immediately intrigued by how many similarities we shared in common. And I knew I had to have him on the show to dive into the many rabbit holes we both enjoy jumping into. Mark is a true testament to what can happen when we use the feedback we get in life with regards to family and friends that may not understand our path to commit to our unique experiences of life even deeper. And for anyone looking to connect to Mark and the amazing work he does with his podcast and beyond, make sure to check out the show notes where I will be listing exactly how you can get in touch with him and where to find his podcast to feed the curiosity bug that resides within so many of us with regards to the many mysteries of life. If there's one thing I have learned about life, it's that it is actually what I don't know rather than what I do know that gets me fired up about life and allows each day to be a unique mystery that is simultaneously beginning and ending each moment. And my hope is that for those of you that resonate with that statement, dive into Mark's work to continue realizing how much you don't know and the liberation that resides within that lack of knowing. Mark, thank you so much for stopping by to hang the listeners and me today, for daring to be different, and for being an inspiration for me to continue questioning everything I know on a daily basis. And until next time, my friend, may your journey be smooth and full of light. I hope. All right. And that is the show two podcasts in one. But what do you expect from me? Mystic Mark here on the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. I'm always switching it up. I'm always adding new things into the mix and I'm always meeting new cool people. And you can find a bunch of them at altmediaunited.com. I'm sure Ryan will be a part of that real soon. You can find his podcast highly optimized. And of course, the one you just heard this one time on psychedelics. As far as my family thinks I'm crazy podcast, you know what to do. Support us on Patreon, Rockfin, join in on the Telegram, participate with the community, leave us a voice message on the Telegram and tell us why your family thinks you're crazy. I love getting those messages. Haven't had any of them in a while. We had a big fun live stream the other day, Chris and Juan. We did an Illuminati confirmed, ask me anything and a bunch of people participated. It was a good time. You can find that on my YouTube channel, believe it or not. Yeah, that's right. An actual video on my YouTube channel. Usually it's just the audio like this. Maybe this is something you're listening to on YouTube. Probably not. I don't want to risk it. We've got two strikes. So until July, I am not posting any audio on the YouTube. I turned the YouTube integration off on my podcast hosts. So 
Sorry, YouTubers, you'll have to wait. We're going to take a little break. I might upload some stuff that I know won't rock the boat, but I don't want to lose the YouTube this soon into the game. We're still so young. We haven't even hit episode 200 yet. Way past 500,000 downloads. We're almost on our way to 600,000, so really cool stuff. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for being here. Please support the show, Value for Value. I could use your help more than ever. Of course, it's the end of the month, so you got bills to pay. So do I. Trust me. I know how it is. Help me out, please. Can't do this show for free. A lot of money goes into making it uh, at the rate, the caliber, and the quality that it comes out at. So, And of course, I got to put time into researching, talking to the guests, etc., etc., etc. So support us on Patreon. Value for value, you get something back, you get bonus episodes, all that good stuff. Send us a tip on Rockfin. Send us a tip on the Kofi store or buy some merch. It's summer. Get yourself a t-shirt. Show it off. Let the whole world know that your family thinks you're crazy too. Anyways, that's all for me, folks. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for listening to this double feature episode and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. Peace. Searching for